You're listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast 62. It is Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020, the day of the equinox, and after offering the astrology of American royalty 2020 and the zodiac address, we now present the astrology of big events September 22nd to December 21, 2020. This new podcast includes the chart for the sun entering Libra today, the sunrise chart for notorious RBG, the other Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, the horoscope of Benjamin Franklin becoming the first postmaster general in America, the chart for the evening of the U.S. election on November 3rd, and various other horoscopes, including the total solar eclipse on December 14th. Overall, this is the 62nd podcast offered to the public since May of 2019. Now, this is definitely an unusual podcast. I am combining all kinds of things in one. Part of the reason is that there's so many different podcasts that I want to do that I have lined up that this is more of, shall we say, a Cliff Notes version. Everybody knows what Cliff Notes are, so this is not the final word on each of these topics. Down the road, if warranted, I will amplify whatever these uh, ideas are that I'm sharing. Um, So this is pretty much a preview of the basics or fundamentals of what is going on in what we call the season of the fall in the Northern Hemisphere, and in the main area of astrology I have done for 47 years, in addition to personal consultations and readings, this is a field called mundane or earth astrology, the astrology of world leaders, of nations, of major planetary alignments, new moons, full moons, eclipses, all kinds of unusual factors, including the four main seasons as they start and have a 90-day area of energy. So again, there is going to be a lot of information here. I recommend after listening, um, probably listen again whenever you feel uh, ready. So fundamentally, where we want to go here is uh, with the with the passing of the, the great American Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, that happened a couple of days ago. And even though um, she passed on Friday, um, I want to share and what I'm presenting, these the charts for all of these are on our greatbearenterprises.com website. So make sure that even if you start listening to this uh, somewhere else, you go to www.greatbearenterprises.com. And if you go to our Astroscope section, which is really Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope, Um, then what will happen is you'll see a listing of the 62, this is now the 62nd podcast since May of 2019. You'll see the different lineup of what I've covered. There's also below that area, there's a a series of folders and, and these are not available elsewhere. And each folder, when you open up that particular area, will have charts. Uh, in some cases, it's the cover of Welcome to Planet Earth magazine, which I was fortunate enough to be the publisher of for 20 years in the 1980s and 1990s. As many of you know, if you've listened to me before, I'm often 
doing a kind of audible style reading of whether it's about a, f the four main asteroids, Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta, even articles from one of my great teachers, Eleanor Bach, who is the first person to bring out an ephemeris for the four main asteroids discovered 1801 to 1807. And that happened back in 1973 in the first year that I got into astrology. And I was fortunate enough to be able to attend monthly meetings at her home. I've shared about that. But recently in one of the podcasts, I literally read uh, two of her amazing features she so generously was able to provide for us. And I read each one of them because of the significance of Pallas Athena. And again, the first 17 podcasts, are, um, which happened last May of, uh, I shouldn't say last May, but May of 2019 and June, July, those first 17 podcasts are all about the United States secondary progress chart. A lot of you do not do not know about your progressions. Maybe some of you know how to do it, others not. There are different kinds of progressions. And we do on the Great Bear Enterprise website in our astrology shop at a fairly low cost, you can get fantastic reports. Um, they're all based on your exact birth data, including your birth time and where you were born, uh, city and state and um, country of your birth. And then there's a life progressions report that is totally on secondary progressions. There are the Skylog and Timeline reports, which are different styles. You can see samples about that. And those reports run for six months or a year. We often have various discounts. Right now there's a special going on that people can be a part of and we keep changing those specials from one week to the other. So there's all kinds of reports and you can see samples from of famous people. So this is at a much lower cost than necessarily doing a personal consultation, which I do do uh, as well, if that's something you're interested in. So what I'd like to do is mention certain things about uh, the tragic passing, I mean, this, uh, the shocking passing of this extraordinary woman, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and share a little bit about the, the chart that's on there. And then we'll go forward with these other areas. Again, these are basics. It's not the final words. So just remember that. There's a lot to cover here. So the chart that I'm giving out is for her birthday, which was on March 15, 1933. She's born in Brooklyn. And again, I just want to say, send um, blessings to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to her family. Um, she's the first person apparently in a couple of days from now, she will lie in state at the U.S. Capitol. No woman has ever been accorded that honor. And I believe today and tomorrow she she will be lying in state, or maybe it's Wednesday and Thursday, at the Supreme Court. So no matter what, what political side you are on, this person, and you've seen all the accolades, there are movies that have been made about her. She's, as, as many have said the last few days, she became a kind of pop icon with the, with the appellation Notorious um, RBG. And so I was hearing recently, it was just extraordinary how so many young children, there's children's stories about her. Obviously for young girls growing up and for women across America and around the world, she's just an extraordinary figure, but for men too. Uh, learning about her six cases before the Supreme Court back in the 1970s and incredible work that she did. Um, at some point, I would like to share more because um, the chart that I'm giving out, I just want to give a couple of pointers here of how extraordinary 
kind of her leaving the scene is here. Um, I am a firm believer life goes on, that we are souls and spirits having human lives. That's my belief. I've studied reincarnation across the planet, um, so many philosophies and religions, and that's my belief system, um, or at least I accept that. Nobody has the final answer of where we all are on a, in a spiritual way, on a soulful way, how it all works. This is a, a divine mystery. Maybe someday we'll get clarity about this in 50 years, 100 years, a couple hundred years when we sort of are able to see through into a higher level of reality. Now, there's just so much with her chart. Again, this could be two or three hours just on her. So it's it's a detriment to to do it this particular way. But since she just passed right before the equinox, um, I think it's important. When you look at the chart, you will see, again, this is not an exact birth time. Nobody knows or we don't have that available. But she was born at a very amazing time. Um, Franklin Roosevelt had just been inaugurated on March 4th of 1933. A couple days later, he closed the banks. This began what was called the 100 days of FDR. All kinds of drastic changes about monetary policy, start of things like the the, the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps, um, his beginning the New Deal. And so she's born 11 days after that at this extraordinary time. Remember, it's also the Great Depression at that point. And that's how she's growing up as a little girl in Brooklyn. So in the chart, you'll see on the left side of the chart where the horizontal line goes through the center of the chart, that's the sun at 24 of Pisces. Above that, you'll see Venus, the traditional symbol, the circle with the cross under it at 14 plus of Pisces. Now, this is amazing. Those first podcasts I did, 17 podcasts about the United States secondary progress sun and the United States secondary progress palace Athena. The whole focus was they had never been together in the United for the United States. When the country began, the chart we used for the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. Um, obviously, at that time, we knew where the moon was, and the moon was in late Aquarius. What we didn't know was that Pallas Athena, disco uh, discovered 1802, wound up being in a conjunction with the moon when the United States and the Declaration of Independence began. They're both at 27 degrees or 26 plus degrees of Aquarius. Now, what I reported on last year was the extraordinary thing that by secondary progression, which is one of the main fields, um, that's why I'm bringing progressions to your attention through many of these podcasts. Many of you know about your natal chart. You know you're more than your sun sign. You've learned about your moon, various planets, whether you've done it yourself, or you've gone to an astrologer, um, or you do, you just do your own astrology. And most people focus on transits. Transits are where the celestial bodies are today or tomorrow or last week in the real sky. Progressions go back to the year of your birth, where in this particular system, each day after birth is equal to a year of living. Progressions like this, secondary progressions, have been used for hundreds of years very successfully, and they have a lot to do with the inner changes of any person, any entity, any business. So progressed astrology is very powerful, and it turns out that the focus I had last year the time of the Mueller report, so many things about justice and injustice and knowledge and wisdom and so on, was that the United States progressed sun and Pallas Athena were merging. They had never done that before in Pisces at 14 plus degrees of Pisces. So lo and behold, 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg, her passing, which is creating so many waves of change, so many challenges with the Senate, the confirmation hearings coming up, the decision by this president and the Republican Congress to go ahead with um, seating a person or attempting to seat that person. Apparently, they will have the votes to do that. And how that will affect the debates and the election will be extraordinary on top of everything else. The pandemic, all the different issues regarding the U.S. mail, um, the confusion about these things and all the political divide, of course, that we, we all know about, which is driving everybody a little bit crazy and making everyone upset. Plus the losses in jobs, um, people um, on the edge having to do with living arrangements, food, you, you all know this. So it's affecting everybody. And the terrible losses now of over 200,000 Americans um, dying from COVID. Um, so... Ruth Bader Ginsburg is born not just with the sun in Pisces, she has Venus at 14 plus of Pisces, the exact degree of the sun and Pallas Athena. And by the way, and I shared this in another podcast, Sedna, one of these faraway planets, when the United States was born and by progression is just one degree off of that place at 15 plus Pisces. So this is an example of somebody of, of extraordinary stature who is passing, uh, I, I read, just the other day that in many ways, regardless of your political opinions, regardless of your social views, Supreme Court kind of things, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is considered by so many people now to be the greatest attorney, particularly the greatest woman attorney in the history of the Republic. And that is an extraordinary honor and she is being honored. So she has Venus triggering all the progressions that I've been talking about, the key thing that the United States on an inner level, psychically, emotionally, spiritually, by what we call secondary progression, there's Sun, Pallas Athena, and Sedna, and they're still all at that place because progressions like that don't move that fast. And she has Venus at that spot. And Venus is the planet of love, of friendship, of understanding, and so many other qualities. As I've shared before, I wrote a book on Venus, Mysteries of Venus out of print. Uh, that's on our app, on the uh, Astrology Cosmic Calendar, three words, calendar with a K. You can get it for your iPhone, you can get it for Android phone under Cosmic, and then calendar, two words, calendar with a K. And it's free if you do one day at a time. If you decide you want to subscribe, it's, it's very inexpensive. Five plus dollars for a month, $30 for six months, $50 um, for a whole year. And that way you can look into the future of what is called the cosmic calendar, which was the centerpiece of Welcome to Planet Earth that I, I created in 1981. So the cosmic calendar remains, even though the magazine, which had all kinds of extraordinary writers for 20 years in the 80s and 90s, that ended in 2000 to 2001. But the cosmic calendar is now 39 years old. And fortunately, it is now an app and you can study more about what's happening in the sky with all kinds of creative ideas of new moons, full moons, planetary alignments, trines, sextiles, conjunctions, all the different planets, the four main asteroids, all kinds of unusual alignments. So don't forget about the astrology cosmic calendar to tune you into what is happening in the actual sky. Now, there are so many other positions in her birth chart. Um, for example, her series, the largest asteroid, um, discovered January 1, 1801, is at 10 plus of Pisces. Her north node, which is a horseshoe figure, these are would appear in what we would call her 12th house, but we don't know her exact 
rising sign. We just are doing a sunrise type chart. Nevertheless, when the United States was born, July 4th, 1776, the only stationary body of the main planets, the four main asteroids, and Chiron is Ceres, the largest asteroid at eight plus of Pisces. Ceres has so many different meanings. You can read more about all the meanings of the main planets and asteroids and Chiron on our complimentary astro-business keys section on Great Bear Enterprises. So that's one way of learning in that complimentary section. You can read more about Ceres. And Ceres, so her Ceres, um, RBG Ceres, is conjunct the United States Ceres, and she represents the great mother force. And her north node, which is a fate destiny point, is right there as well within a conjunction of that same series point. Um, I noticed also she's born with a Mercury retrograde, which is it's important to realize that here we have this greatest American jurist attorney in our republic. And you want to listen to the truth about Mercury retrograde, which was on various covers. It's one of the podcasts where I share all about the power of Mercury retrograde and retrograde planets in general. It's not what you think. Mercury retrograde can be incredibly important. So she is born with Mercury retrograde at seven plus of Aries. And as she passes, Chiron, which is often called the wounded healer, is exactly on her Mercury. So even without knowing her time of birth, we see these extraordinary kinds of things going on and we can plot that out. And so that's what I'm providing. There's many other, she's got strong Virgo energies, Jupiter, Neptune, the South Node, and Mars are all in Virgo. And those are opposite the Pisces energies. She's got a Scorpio moon. And by the way, this is the reason, part of the reason I wanted to share about this. And again, I would share more. Her amazing connection with Antonin Scalia and the irony and the unusual thing that it was his passing in February 2016 that led Mitch McConnell to do this unusual thing of not letting President Obama allow Merrick Garland to have his say to be on the court. So we're now seeing all this hypocrisy and uh, going back and forth, which is a big issue for the voters and everybody, as you have been witnessing the last several days of trying to rush through somebody in a very short period of time. Of course, we've already heard uh, President Trump is preparing to nominate a woman. There's four different women he's considering and he's gonna make a decision in a few days. So this is also going to affect voters. It's gonna make the the uh, the voters that are part of his base even more adamant to go out and do things and promote uh, the Trumpian agenda. It's gonna make the people supporting Biden and Harris and the more democratic liberal forces, everything is gonna be heightened and more intensified as if we needed more of that. So that's going to be happening because Whoever is going to go on there as a woman is going to be conservative. By the way, um, the reason I brought up Antony Scalia, he was actually younger than Ruth Bader Ginsburg, got on the court earlier, and they, he's a Pisces. And so his birthday is within a couple of days of her, three years different, but they're both born with the Scorpio moon. And so when, when you're seeing all of this, how could these two people be such friends? The story is amazing, and, and that's something I think that lesson is what we should really get out of this, that these two extraordinary jurists, um, completely different views. I know with, with movies and documentaries, you see all this, how uh, Antonin Scalia was particularly able to make her laugh a lot, 
to change. Uh, they, they just had a wonderful personal relationship and their families did as well. So there's the example there. There's so much more in her chart. The other last thing I want to say though is there is this other, I don't know if I'll present it. I'll probably do it another time. I have the date for when um, President Clinton nominated her in 1993, I think it was in June. And then she got on the court, she was confirmed in an incredible 96 to 3. She got on the court on August 10, 1993. Now recently I did a podcast, might have been five or six podcasts ago, where I was reading um, certain articles that I had written in 1993. Um, they were really fascinating uh, kind of pieces at that time. But that was the year of three Uranus-Neptune conjunctions in Capricorn. And those faraway planets that come together, they only do that every 171 years. They did it around 1822, 1823, and then they did it three times in 1993. So when she, she became a court member, it was an amazing day in August and, and in the same month of the second of three Uranus-Neptune conjunctions. And those planets have a lot to do with very higher level focus on individual rights, particularly through Uranus and the more collective consciousness energies relating to Neptune. So I did a chart and I'll probably put it out in the future. The, the day that she went on the court that morning, there was a last quarter moon, Sun and Leo, which is also President Clinton's sun sign and moon and Taurus in a square, a 90 degree square, which often represents crisis in consciousness. So her coming on the court happened on a strategic day, which oddly enough is the same sun and moon, a last quarter moon in President Clinton's own chart. And he's born back on August 20th, 1946. So not only was President Clinton, when, uh, when he interviewed her, I think it was on a Sunday, I, I was reading different things. He was completely taken with her from the beginning. And she became, um, after Sandra Day O'Connor, who was put on the court, the first woman by President Reagan, who, by the way, is born was born with the first quarter moon, sun and Aquarius, moon and Taurus. So both President Reagan in office in the 80s for those eight years, and then President Clinton from 1993 to the beginning of 2001. One is born at a first quarter moon, President Reagan, Aquarius, Sun, Taurus, Moon. The other one, Clinton, is born with the Sun in Leo, but also an, a Taurus moon. Under the Reagan administration, he often used the term mourning in America. Well, in a way, and that was true because people who were born at a first quarter moon is a waxing moon phase, which has certain qualities. President Clinton, in fact, Vice President Gore, both born in waning sun-moon cycles. And, there, and so that was more like evening in America. And of course, we know both of these administrations had scandals. There was the Iran-Contra scandals, which was a big deal in the middle uh, period of uh, the Reagan-Bush administration. And then, of course, we had the Monica Lewinsky scandal also in the second part of the Clinton administration, which we could say actually led to of uh, the defeat of Al Gore in many ways and the rise of George Bush uh, number two. So the 27 years cycle of Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court from August 1993 to September of 2020, that's 27 years, another progressed cycle because the progressed moon in any person's chart or in the chart of an event, the moon will come back every 27 years and a few months. So she literally had a complete lunar progression in her chart. And as I'm saying, she got on the card, court in a very significant day. And in a way, 
that lunar energy, and remember she's born with the Scorpio moon, just like Antonin Scalia, they're kind of bookends, these incredible friends on the court, and they're also, one passes in 2016 and has unbelievable effects, where Merrick Garland, who was a centrist, was not put on the court. That led uh, President Trump, once he got on there, to bring in two conservatives. And now we will have a third conservative who will probably be a woman. So there's much more to this, but at least I have the chart there for her sunrise birth, March 15, 1933, and hopefully I will share much more about that. Sun entering Libra, the next important thing which just happened today. I, as you may know, I do what are called global hotspots. Um, this is a section, complimentary, on new moons and full moons and sometimes other things. It's all written. There's a world map. There's also a horoscope, and all the horoscopes are for Washington, D.C. Now, every new moon, every full moon, every eclipse, the way this works in mundane or Earth astrology is they're calculated for the state cap or the nation's capital. But you can actually move any new moon, full moon eclipse to your own location. Once you get into that, you've got the software or you can uh, work with an astrologer on that. So you can see the lineup of what's rising, what's setting what's above and below, what we call astrolocality principles, um, often known as astrocartography, which is more of a registered trademark mark coming from uh, Jim Lewis, who was the main um, inventor. I mean, other people had worked on these areas, but 40, 40 some odd years ago now, it's, I, I can't even remember, I think it was in the 70s when astrocartography became a reality, but there had been a lot of research before that by different people, but no one had come up with kind of a complete picture until that point. Well, this section that I've been doing for a number of years, again, it's on Great Bear Enterprises. You can see it, it's called Global Hotspots. So it was literally last night. I mean, there's been so much happening and so many of these podcasts that I was planning to do. That's why this is more of a combination. And then I decided, oh, you know, I really need to actually do the chart for Washington, D.C. Let's see what's happening for September 22nd, which is still today, uh, 9.32 in the morning in Washington, D.C., Eastern, Eastern Daylight Time. Lo and behold, I do the chart. And what do I see? Juno, zero plus Scorpio, exactly rising in Washington, D.C. Now, this will prompt you, you should go to a recent Astro Flash that's in the Earth Aquarius News section on Great Bear Enterprise. That's where we have a lot of stories with charts and all kinds of things in there. I have mentioned before, I did this major story about um, uh, Eris on Sedna, these two faraway planets, Eris exactly on Sedna on January 20th, 2017, when President Trump was inaugurated. There's a story in there. And it's quite important to learn more about Eris and Sedna and their principles. Uh, also, the, the wound that never heals. Uh, America's turning point of the 20th century about JFK's assassination, his, his birth chart, the chart for the assassination, Lee Harvey Oswald. And this has been a major field of study. The main first presentation I ever did uh, in New York City after getting into astrology uh, was at what's called the National Council for Geocosmic Research. Um, at that point, Neil Nicholson, who has done all these amazing ephemerides, um, I had met him at a meeting and decided I'd like to present something on the spiritual aspects of JFK's assassination. And I was able to give my talk there. It was around 1975, I believe, 74, 75. And I've been working on that 
And I am still working on it, believe it or not, 47 years later, partly because so much has been concealed and we get dribs and drabs about the totality of what different organizations, FBI, CIA, foreign powers, and so on, what was really at work, so many dozens and dozens of books, many of which I have and I haven't actually had the time to read because of just my work. So you'll see this chart, and the reason this is important is this is the chart for the three-month period for everything happening from a mundane or earth astrology. This is kind of the the grandma, grand, granddad chart. So mundane uh, earth astrologers use these charts to understand each season, um, spring, summer, fall, winter. Now, of course, in the Southern Hemisphere, the, the seasons are opposite. So nevertheless, this is a sun entering Libra um, energy field. I'm not going to analyze the whole thing uh, at all. But Juno rising is, there's two things I want to bring up that are significant here. I mean, there's many things in the chart and you can study it. And it's another thing that's important. Uh, Juno, as I've been sharing, and if you go back to the this Astro Flash I did recently in the Earth Aquarius News section about Mars and Juno being opposite a week ago, this is what I reported on before it actually happened about the storms brewing the hurricane that was brewing and became really devastating in the area. It turned out to be Alabama and Mississippi. First, it was forecast uh, for uh, Louisiana, but it, it moved east, but devastating last week. And that happened right on the tail end of a Mars-Juno opposition, which is a pretty rare cycle. And so the chart for Mars opposite Juno is in that section. Now, I have shared a lot about all the asteroids, including Juno. And Juno has many favorable qualities when it's working well. It has a lot to do with peace and harmony and beauty. In many ways, in a positive way, it has similarities to Venus. And one can go back into Roman mythology or Greek mythology under the name Hera. However, every celestial body, and this is very important, even Venus and Jupiter can have their negative sides. So when you study traditional astrology, you hear, oh, Venus and Jupiter are the benefics. It's usually Jupiter's the greater benefic because it's bigger, king of the gods and all these different mythologies. And Venus is called the lesser benefic. But even those planets, there can be detrimental sides in any individual chart or in a world chart or in one of these charts. So you have to look carefully. Same thing with um, Mars and Saturn. Traditionally, they're the malefics, but Mars and Saturn can have good qualities as well. It depends on the aspects, the person or situation and what the alignments are. In this case, Juno just entering Scorpio, the eighth sign, which we know traditionally has so much to do with death and rebirth, transformation, metamorphosis, research, delving into things. But it is the second water sign after Cancer and before Pisces. For Juno to just go into Scorpio, remember, we're still in hurricane season. And one is, I believe, hitting now. It's a tropical storm again. So this implies different kinds of storm warnings for America. The fact that the sun enters Libra, which should be a sign of friendly partnering and let's let's get along together Libra is a sign of relating um, it's it's a sign of improving partnership ties of values and justice and of course with Ruth Bader Ginsburg just dying this whole idea of justice and putting now a new person on the court and defying her last wishes which she hoped that it would be a new president whoever wins the election would be able to do this and that was what the conditions were four years ago 
where Mitch McConnell said, hey, it's there's 11 months here. We don't want to um, have President Obama's uh, selection here. And so it's now considered the McConnell rule. And now he's going completely opposite that and using all kinds of excuses of why um, it's okay that they should rush somebody through in a very short period of time. So it looks like that's going to happen unless something occurs that is unknown with the debates and some of the new moons and full moons between now and when this nominee is uh, put forward. So one never knows exactly what's going to happen. Sometimes there's a skeleton in a closet, something isn't revealed, or again, we don't know about weather patterns, and that's what Juno, but the fact that it's the, the one of the four main asteroids, Juno and Scorpio, exactly on the ascendant or rising point, plus Mercury in Libra, having just risen in this chart, is squaring its own position almost exactly for the U.S. chart, the United States Mercury, which is a retrograde Mercury, by the way, is a 24 plus of Cancer. So here we have Mercury at 24 plus of Libra. Uh, and we are going to have Mercury go retrograde October 13th. I'll share more about that. Go retrograde in Scorpio and then go retrograde for several weeks. And when it comes out of retrograde, it's back in Libra. And, and when does it come out of retrograde? Tuesday, November 3rd. Tuesday, November 3rd. Mercury is stationary, coming out of retrograde, but not moving anywhere on the day of the election. So this will be a lead in in a little while to the idea of the U.S. mail, because, of course, Mercury traditionally is the messenger of the gods, rules communication and transportation, aside from health and business. And we've got this pandemic and all the controversies, real news, fake news and so on. A lot of that is connected to Mercury. It goes back to the fact that our current president and vice president are both sun sign Gemini's. And um, so Mercury becomes a ruling planet here, and we see it in what is usually considered a detrimental relationship of a square pattern of 90 degrees to the United States Mercury. One other thing, and I don't want to be an alarmist here, but it is important. Aside from the study of JFK's assassination, which I have continued to work with for 47 years, back when we woke on planet Earth, before it became a newspaper, before it became a magazine over uh, 20 years, it started in 1981. Somehow or another, I started reading books about, I remember a book called Men and Atoms, um, Atoms meaning A-T-O-M-S. And I've always been interested in atomic, The let's put it this way, the chemical table of elements, the table of elements, hydrogen, number one, helium, number two, all the different um, charting of elements all the way to Einsteinium 99 and beyond. So to me, that's always been fascinating in terms of my interest in math, biology, science, and so on. And because of the numbers, atomic numbers and atomic weights of whether it's gold, silver, across the board, all the different elements, oxygen, nitrogen, and so on, where are they placed in the periodic table of elements? So um, the reason I bring this up is I started investigating everything about nuclear energy, and I found, was able to do this research, that the first controlled nuclear reaction was on December 2nd, 1942, Enrique Fermi in Chicago and was able to do all this research to get as exact of a time. And this took a lot of work, um, which I considered the birth of the atomic age, even though different things had happened before that, the electron, the neutron, the structure of the atom, it's all in research that I did. And at some point, um, I've got five different 
uh, articles that I wrote in Soul and Welcome Planet Earth over a period of many years. So it's the whole history of atomic energy or nuclear energy astrologically, including charts for Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Trinity explosion in July of 1945, um, which was the first actual detonation by testing in Alamogordo, New Mexico, and which then led, because we only had um, two different types of bombs at that point, or two bombs, Hiroshima and Nagasaki led to the end of World War II. However, over the, a period of time, we had SALT agreements between America and Russia. We had the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty in 1963 um, between uh, America, uh, the United Kingdom, and Russia. Uh, France did not join. China, I don't believe at that point, had even gotten into nuclear weapons at that point. And there were other things, Three Mile Island, uh, Chernobyl. So all of these things have been covered. Why am I bringing it up? And, and this is kind of scary. Um, maybe it just will be fear. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying something will happen like Cuban Missile Crisis wise. It doesn't have to be that severe. But of all the positions that the moon could have at the beginning of this season, and remember a lot of the issues about who is controlling the nuclear football, so to speak, and whether it, not just President Trump, but we talk about what happened with President Kennedy with the Cuban Missile Crisis. My thoughts are, what if Nixon had become president? That was a very close election. Would he have been able to prevent um, our forces from starting a potential nuclear exchange? And that is a very important thing. And at some point, I will share more about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I will share readings from audible style readings from Welcome to Planet Earth of all the research I did about nuclear energy. So where's the moon in this chart? You'll see it in the second house in Washington, D.C., 10 degrees of Sagittarius in so many minutes. You'll see the crescent moon in the second house of this chart, 10 with the degree symbol, the arrow of Sagittarius, and 39 minutes. That's exactly the sun from December 2nd, 1942. So there's 360 degrees in the zodiac. And when I saw this last night, I printed the chart out. Well, before even printing it out, it comes on the computer and I'm looking at it and it's like OMG and so many exclamation points. I'm already seeing Mercury 24 plus of Libra. I know from 47 years of studying America's chart, the United States Mercury is 24 plus of Cancer. That's already one strike here that's not so positive. Considering the debates are gonna happen, three presidential debates, a vice presidential debate, all of this controversy now with who's going to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, the U.S. mail, which we'll get to in a moment, the pandemic on top of everything, flu season starting, the economic uh, catastrophe here. We're already seeing whether we call it a second wave or a different part of wave one in Germany, in Italy, in Spain. Boris Johnson just did a whole thing in uh some plans about being more cautious, closing bars early in the United Kingdom. India is suffering enormously. Even some of these countries, it was like, oh, the model of Singapore or South Korea, Japan. Um, Japan just lost its prime minister. Now they have a new one. Um, we often don't know if we get accurate reports from countries like Russia, from China. And then there's all these other countries that have problems that are in war areas, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Syria, um, what's happening with Brazil, which is extraordinarily terrible, and so on. Again, then we have misinformation in our own country, in our own country, recent things with the C CDC saying one thing a few days ago, and then taking it off, 
and then either saying they were hacked or, oh, that we were just preparing a statement, somehow it got on. That doesn't make any sense, you know, so we don't know who's pulling strings and for what reason. So if you're on the side of the President of the United States and you believe he is the champion of justice and law and order and everything he's ever done is positive or he's better than the, the opposition, then you're going to have those views. On the other hand, whatever happens here, we're going to have a, an enormous split. Somebody is going to be president and vice president at some point, whether it takes days or weeks after November 3rd. So I'll, I'll be amplifying all that and some of these other things. There's a lot more I could share, but the fact that the moon is exactly at that spot. By the way, the moon at 10 plus a Sagittarius is exactly square to the last full moon that we had uh, in early September. And that was at 10 plus degrees of Pisces and 10 plus degrees of Virgo. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a full moon. And now the moon at the start of the fall is exactly at right angles to both of the sun and the moon as September started. One of the things I want to just interpose here, I have shared, as many of you know, I am not, uh, shall we say, on the on the Donald Trump bandwagon by any means. I'm born in Queens, New York. It's not far from where he was born. I'm born four years after he's born. Um, my, I grew up in New York City when we, we would hear all the scandals. Daily News, The Post, The New York Times, the we had all these newspapers and so on. And Donald Trump and the different marriages and the different issues with real estate and the casinos, this was all part. So New Yorkers growing up in the, shall we say, the 60s, but particularly 70s, 80s, as he rose to fame or infamy with real estate in Manhattan and casinos in New Jersey and the different relationships and so on, part of the whole thing. National Enquirer, we know that there are all these issues with the former publisher of that and different things that have happened in the first several years of an administration. Michael Cohn went to prison. Um, and at the same time, uh, someone was called Individual A is the president of the United States unnamed and part of uh, the scenario by which Michael Cohn went to jail. Now he's just come out with a book, Disloyal. And so he's a very interesting person with his views coming out, as well as many of you know, the niece came out uh, with her book. So we keep having these different things coming out. And yet uh, the president of the United States denying everything. It's either a hoax or a witch hunt or they're all lying. And then we have the issues of what's actually happened to protect our country with the pandemic. And we're certainly not getting from the government, as well as the CDC and the World Health Organization. Uh, there's a lot, lot more in science, though, that's valuable. Uh, I come from a medical family. And so in any of these, um, in, the, in this kind of research to be able to get a vaccine, we know that the fastest one was the mumps, four years. There, when you look back at polio, when you look back at um, the, the other particular pandemic of 1918 and what happened there, uh, I probably won't share this at this point, but in one of the podcasts, I went back to the Black Plague, the bubonic plague, which was a different kind of plague of the 1300s. And I have, I will present my material once again. I've already given out some chart information from 1347 and some astrological parallels to the 1300s and what's been happening in the um, this uh, time period. Under Obama, we had Uranus and Pluto Square several times. Um, during that administration, they were making preparations for uh, outbreaks of different pandemics. And some of those things were not carried through 
when President Trump came into office. So there was a lot of cost cutting and other kinds of things that took place. Nevertheless, um, there are patterns of what has been happening before this president came into office of astrology patterns, particularly over the since 2000 and even 1999 about pandemics. And of course we had, we had MERS, we had SARS and MERS and flu epidemics and so on that have all been recently until this particular virulent one of COVID has happened and with its devastating um, consequences around the, the planet, and particularly for America. I did about, I don't know, seven podcasts you can see about the coronavirus and astrology. And so there's many charts there and so on. So what's disturbing here, finish up about Sun entering Libra, Mercury squaring the United States, Mercury, Juno exactly rising. We're still in hurricane season and the West Coast still has fires. Okay, so where I'm reporting from in Oregon tonight, uh, Aquarius is rising um, and the, the um, equinox is still occurring. And the moon is above in Sagittarius, which is a sign of higher learning and goals and thinking of things of a bigger picture of stuff, which is what I'm trying to do with all of putting together, combining all of these different stories, each one of which could have its own podcast. But it feels to me I've got to get all this together to give you this preview that's important here. So, uh, and again, with the moon right at the one degree where the sun is from December 2nd, 1942, the beginning of the nuclear age, um, and all the research I did, that is an uncomfortable feeling. Um, we're also dealing with Venus conjunct Vesta today as part of the lead in to um, the fall season. And Vesta has a lot to do with safety and security. Um, it has many other me meanings, and I've shared much about Vesta in, in these podcasts. And Vesta is going to play a very significant role, which I'll get into later around the time of the inauguration. That will be a whole separate thing. But I will tell you that Vesta was the only retrograde planet, and at the bottom of the chart, when President Trump and Vice President Pence took their oaths of office on January 20th, 2017. And I remember... Um, it was a woman astrologer, not to put blame on her, but I remember her writing, I don't know if she was a supporter of President Trump, maybe just an observation. She was looking at a chart and said, there's nothing retrograde, everything is moving forward. And I knew that that wasn't true in the astrology I work with, and I looked at the whole chart. And many people don't work with the four main asteroids and Chiron, they work with the sun, moon, the eight planets from Mercury to Pluto, and the nodes of the moon, which almost every astrologer uses, which is the orbit of the moon. There, If you are familiar with your chart or you've heard the term, they're sometimes called the dragon's head, the dragon's tail. One is more related to the future, the other one to the past. In traditional astrology, the north node was said to be Jupiter-like and more positive, and the south node was more Saturnian. And I think in modern astrology, we don't necessarily look at it that way. So the south node doesn't have to be bad, and the north node doesn't have to be good. Everything depends on where they're happening, what the alignments are in the birth chart, the transits, progressions, and so on. So um, that gives you another thing, Venus and Vesta in, in, the U, in the chart for the United States or from Washington, D.C., they're directly above. That looks very auspicious. Venus is a very important planet. But nevertheless, there they are at 18 plus Leo. By the way, that's the area exactly where the sun was at 18 Leo when Ruth Bader Ginsburg went on to the court, court on August 10 of 1993. And here it's showing up, Venus and Vesta conjunct the sun when she, after her nomination, she became a member of the court for 27 years. So we're even seeing planetary positions in, in this chart relating to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who will be lying in state at the Capitol. Okay, 
Moving on to the next topic, United States mail. I wanted to do a whole segment on this. Um, I'm going to make this as brief as I can, and this is very important. I mean, for weeks now, all these controver controversies going on. And I did actually do at one point the current po um, the current postmaster. Uh, let's see if I've got it here. <laughs> it's in this group. Yeah, Louis de Joy, uh, supposedly born June twentieth, nineteen fifty seven. I just want you to know that I'm aware of that chart. He's still in power. He was a a Trump supporter, and there's all these questions about him. He did appear before Congress, both in the House and the Senate. And a lot, and a recent judge said, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta undo some of these things." And so there's all that controversy. And of course, the president of the United States has made the case: "Oh, this is going to be the most bogus thing, false mail, people voting twice, on and on and on." Now that generally does not happen. And as I've shared before, I'm in a state, Oregon. We've voted by mail. It's very organized. It's very efficient. We all know what to do. There's no, you know, I guess newcomers, they have to learn, but it's very simple. There's a secrecy envelope. You sign there and everybody feels very happy about it. Plus the other states um, that have been doing this for years is our Utah, hopefully I remember all this, Utah, Washington, California, and Hawaii. Now I believe other states are making it possible. Like California, I know, Nevada. But the president has said, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And it's wrong because if there's a Democratic governor, he disparages what they're doing. And he's done that in Colorado, too. And I've heard the Colorado Secretary of State on TV, again, validating how it's worked so incredibly. So you've got these false accusations, whether through the president or one of his members of his team, and just making the whole thing sound as if, like, nobody's going to know it's going to as you've heard the president say, we might not know for days, weeks, even years, because he has a tendency to focus on things being big and huge. He's born when Jupiter is not moving. It's the, it's the biggest planet. He's also born when Neptune's not moving. He's born when Chiron is not moving. So it's very rare to have a president whose chart is so connected to the United States, a chart from July 4th, 1776, not necessarily all good, not necessarily all bad. But as I shared in a recent podcast, his son in Gemini, uh, President Trump, born June 14, flag day at a total lunar eclipse and full moon, June 14, 1946, his son is right on the United States Mars. And the only other president to have that was George Bush number one, who was born June 12th of 1924. And uh, the first president, uh, George Bush, was born with sun squaring Uranus, the planet of intuition, but also revolution, radical change, upheavals. Of course, under I, as I've shared in a different podcast and several times, in the pages of Welcome to Planet Earth as a magazine, I warned over and over again for us not to elect George Herbert Walker Bush as president when he was running against Dukakis in 1988. O over and over again. Why? Because George Bush, Herbert Walker Bush, regardless of his skills and everything he had done in his life in the Republican Party, who was vice president under under Reagan, has, would be our only second Gemini president. The first one was JFK. His son was on our Uranus, and we know what happened to JFK in that, that time period. Second president, sun sign Gemini, George Herbert Walker Bush, son on the United States Mars, traditionally, potentially a planet of war. And I predicted... 
in the magazine, we're going to go to war if he's president, and then Saddam Hussein annexed Kuwait, and we got involved with the Persian Gulf War number one, and then that led eventually, because of the scandals under Clinton, Gore won the popular vote. He was not allowed to be president through the 36 days and the, and the court coming in. And by the way, let's not forget, that was 20 years ago when Jupiter and Saturn were in a conjunction. And shortly, I'll be talking about Jupiter-Saturn again. So the last time Jupiter and Saturn were together, that was in Taurus, which is is the end of Jupiter-Saturn, what we call the great great mutation cycles. Jupiter and Saturn, they come together every 20 years. In um, They go through uh, fire signs for about 180 years, then they go through earth signs for 180 years, approximately, then air signs for 180 years, and then water signs. So we are shifting now, December 21, at the end of this time period for this astrology uh, podcast on December 21, Jupiter and Saturn come together at the winter solstice, but they come together at zero degrees of Aquarius. And many of my podcasts have been focused on zero plus Aquarius because that's the January 20th sun position. And we've only had presidents being inaugurated January 20th instead of March 4th in Pisces, which was the traditional date for for well over 100 plus years. And it was changed during the first administration of Franklin Roosevelt. So he was inaugurated for the first time March 4th, 1933. When he won again, he wasn't inaugurated till January 20th of 1937. And that's always when the sun is at zero plus Aquarius. So what, what, what's been happening in, in these podcasts that I reported last year, that um, Mars and Saturn were going to uh, be, be meeting at zero plus Aquarius. That happened on March 31st of this year. Pallas Athena which was so prominent and still very prominent in terms of justice and the first 17 podcasts and other ones, then Pallas Athena made a station and stopped in May at zero plus Aquarius. And now the big event, a zero plus Aquarius, December 21, Jupiter, Saturn, but I'm going to be sharing more about that in a moment. So um, sorry, I got uh, shifted here from the mail, but I did mention Louis DeJoy. I'm not going to put out that chart, but I know he's born June 20th, 1957. And the U.S. Postal Service was formed as an entity in terms of business on July 1 of 1971. So those charts, significant, but the chart that I'm posting is for when Benjamin Franklin became, this is before even the creation of the United States from the, July 4th, 1776. Almost a year before, in the during the Continental Congress, mail was so significant with newsletters and newspapers beginning and so on, that in that Continental Congress, Benjamin Franklin, who had been born, I think it was 1706, so he was already in his 60s, um, he was named the first U.S. postmaster, and we have a date, which is July 26, 1775. Um, the time I'm using in the morning in Philadelphia is sunrise on that day, and that itself is a significant chart. But the reason it's significant, and all the planets there are significant, because in many ways, beyond Louis de Joy and his own chart, which is not all, I mean, it's significant because of the changes he's making and the, the, the changes or unchanging things that he has to deal with. So his influence and his birth chart is significant. And the U.S. Postal Service formed July 1, 1971 as a business um, or as a service within the United States, because the president of the United States is always talking about that, that there are 
losing, they keep losing money. It's part of the government, kind of like NASA is part of the government, but not in the normal way of looking at how we, we look at some of these organizations. So it's kind of a, a loose affiliation or a looser affiliation than the Senate or the House or the Supreme Court or the different branches of government and things like that. So first U.S. Postmaster chart. The reason this is so timely, because it happened a, about a year before, as many of you know, I've shared on Coast to Coast uh, AM, and I've been offered an opportunity to be on there, and hopefully that will happen next week or the um, at the first debate, the evening of the first debate, September 29th. So depending on when you listen to this, you should go, it's on AM, Coast to Coast AM, um, and I've been on there about, I don't know now, 25 times since 2004. I'm always grateful to be on there with George Norrie. So that's coming up. Um, so here's what's going on. I have shared that, and mundane or earth astrologers know that if you work with the United States birth chart, if you accept that as the, the day and the time, which so many of us work with um, from Welcome to Planet Earth and do the rectification techniques, there are still other astrologers in the past and present who might have other ideas, but most people, at least that I have associated with, the, the astrologers writing for Welcome to Planet Earth for 20 years and so on, as well as my colleague, Wayne Moody, who has made this as a special area of his life and with extraordinary expertise. So we'll be sharing with Wayne in the near future as well. Uh, the interesting thing here is we're going to have Pluto come back. Pluto has a 247-year cycle, and now we have a plutocracy that's developed, not just President Trump, but other plutocrats. And we know that plutocracy really means government by the wealthy. In this case, at this time in history, the extreme wealthy, and when we're seeing things like um, there was the, the, the small amount of monies that were given out, um, $1,200, $2,400, one-time thing, and the Congress, and the irony here is the Congress has not been able to substantiate another wave of support for tens of millions of Americans who are losing their jobs, who might be able to, to, to not be able to live where they're living, be homeless, and so tens of millions of Americans, at the same time, Mitch McConnell Republicans will suddenly turn on a dime and say, and go completely opposite of what they did four years ago, and suddenly meet and do all these things, whereas they can't figure out a way to work with the Democrats to give people who are in desperate need in this country money as they did earlier. Um, and so many stores and so many people losing jobs, losing their livelihoods and so on. So we're going to have Pluto come back in the regular United States uh, through the transits to July 4th, 1776. It'll happen three times. The United States Pluto is in Capricorn. So Pluto is in Capricorn now, but it hasn't reached that degree area yet, which is 27 plus degrees of Capricorn. Three times in 2022, that will happen. So we're in the kind of dark phase of the moon, the end phase of a 247-year cycle, and we're not there yet. This is part of the reason these feelings of split, the country's divided. Now we have a pandemic. We've got the influenza thing. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passes away. This, these controversy, controversies back and forth between Democrats and, and Republicans and extremists on the right, extremists on the left, and the whole ec economy, and not just us, but the whole world. So the world is also experiencing it, a whole bunch of cycles, including conjunctions of Saturn and Pluto, which happened in January, right when the pandemic came out. Saturn-Pluto conjunctions only happen every 30 plus years. The previous one was 1982. 
So that was um, 30, almost like 37, 37 plus years ago. We also had a Jupiter-Pluto conjunction early in, the, in this year. And then we're going to have them come back. Um, I'll give you the date on that pretty soon. It's November, since I mentioned it, um, November... 12th? Yeah, November 12th, Jupiter and Pluto will come together in Capricorn. So they already met um, or were close together and they're going to be coming together. And this is right a week or nine days after the election. Jupiter and Pluto, you have a meeting of the, the biggest planet and the king of the gods from mythology and the outermost planet that we use. I mean, we are now using Sedna and Eris and other ones. But as far as the regular accepted planets in astrology, of course, astronomers have said Pluto is a dwarf planet, but astrologers have not accepted that. All astrologers use Pluto uh, as it has been used since 1930. So the issue with the first U.S. Postmaster chart, if you look at it on our website, in the sixth house, you'll see Pluto at 25 plus of a Capricorn and Vesta at 23 plus of Capricorn. So when Benjamin Franklin became the first uh, postmaster in America ever, I mean, in that title, July 26, 1775, Pluto and Vesta are in a conjunction. And the current transits of this year, Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, including Pallas Athena, all focused in that area, including the conjunction with Vesta in this chart, and also going back and forth over Pluto. So for instance, Pallas and Saturn, Jupiter, they're all affecting Pluto and Vesta. Remember, Vesta is safety and security. And what's the issue with the Postal Service? Is it safe? You know, all the different things of the different kinds of ballot, absentee ballots, ballots coming in from veterans, with all the different states, as I shared before, it's, it's an absolute... I would say tragedy, it's beyond that, that after 20 years of the hanging chads in Florida and the Supreme Court making the decision that they should have never made, and now people are thinking again, will the Supreme Court intervene? Hopefully not. But we have 20, uh, 50 different states. Again, as I said before, Oregon, Colorado, Utah, Washington, Hawaii, we have been safely doing mailing. It is the easiest thing. It's focused. It's grounded. And for that to be disparaged, of course, if other states jump into it, they don't have a track record, that can be difficult. On the other hand, there's, there has been plenty of time, except for the fact that the previous postmaster general, whoever that was, I don't remember the name from months ago, was replaced. And then all kinds of equipment was replaced. And then we don't get all the information forcing this person who had been on the staff, uh, a Republican supporter of President Trump, going into this position, decommissioning certain equipment, changing things around, where it'd say, oh, it's, it's, it's making it better, it's making it more effective, and we just take his word for it, and then he, he winds up going before the House and the Senate. So that's, this was going to be um, maybe a full thing, looking at the USPS, uh, United States Postal Service, business-oriented chart of July 171, Louis DeJoy's chart, but I don't want to get into that now, but the key here is that Benjamin Franklin becoming the first postmaster general almost a year before of America, knowing that chart and presenting it, we're, we're ahead of the, I should say, I shouldn't say ahead of the game, but that's basically what it is. They're already, the mail service is like a canary in the coal mine. They're getting 
Pluto, Saturn, Jupiter, and Pallas Athena, and also Mars, which is now in late Aries, which is retrograde. You'll, you'll see my podcast, if you haven't listened to it, about um, Mars retrograde, and Mars retrograde, which started on September 9, continuing to November 13th, um, very close to the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction I just mentioned, which will be on November 12th. So that whole time period is going to be interesting. Jupiter Pluto matching up together November 12th, the day after Veterans Day, and the day after on Friday, which happens to be the 13th, Friday, November 13th, Mars stopping now um, to go from retrograde to direct. So that'll be in the middle of Aries. So Mars recently stopped squaring this whole area of Capricorn. Not exactly, but it's, it's retrograding over. So the U.S. mail uh, from the first postmaster July 26, 1775, with Pluto and Vesta in the 25-23 zone of Capricorn, Mars retrograding in its own sign several times is squaring that area, which is causing more havoc, more controversy. kind of. And again, remember on the West Coast here, literal fires, smoke, and so on. So Mars in its own sign, and I could share, which I'm not going to do, the chart for California, which I have shared before in different ways. Every state has a chart. And you can compare your own chart to like California entered the Union, September 9, 1850. There are two planets at the end of um, Aries, uh, Uranus conjuncted Pluto in 1850 in the end of Aries. And so Mars getting close to that point or at that point has been uh, triggering a lot of a lot of the fires and also the fires then moved up I-5, the main highway into Southern Oregon, then we had the same kind of heat and so on. Before you know it, we became a tinderbox. It's only recently that where I live, the air finally cleared out because we had rain and we're supposed to have some more rain. Um, and then watch state of Washington, of course, all the forests in this part of the world uh, or in this part of the United States. So the Mars retrograde in its own sign, that's part of this whole challenge. Okay, so that could be its own area, another whole subject. Uh, I noticed we're about an hour into this, and so I'm planning to do another hour, so keep your seatbelts on. Um, we're going to get into the other Jupiter-Saturn um, will probably will be next, but I do want to mention another research project, and I did share this partly in some of the podcasts, where I went back to 2001 of what happened that summer, and this, what's called the metonic cycle. It, it's I didn't share a whole lot about it, but if we go back a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus, and we go back into Greece, um, a philosopher who was also a mathematician named Meton, M-E-T-O-N, discovered or rediscovered from somebody who had done work earlier that every 19 years, new moons, full moons, eclipses would repeat. It has to do with earth cycles, moon cycles, solar cycles, and so on. So this has been on the books for a long time. There are a number of these different cycles, uh, but this one is a very powerful one. And so if you have the ephemeris, which is what I call the, the Bible of astrology, um, or you could call it another name, but uh, this is one of the problems, I think, with modern astrologers. I mean, I'm not casting aspersions on everyone, but growing, sort of growing into the field in the 1970s, um, at that point, there were no computers. Even hand calculators, uh, to be able to do certain things with, with a small calculator, they were several years um, from, from happening. Uh, 
So in 1972, when I get into this, you had to have an ephemeris, which had the day by day, sun, moon, the different planets there. And the, the four main asteroids only came into existence in 1973. Ephemerides have been around for several hundred years. George Washington, using things like the Farmer's Almanac and Moon Cycles, I have a book that shows even a picture. He was aware because, again, uh, like the other presidents early on, they, they were slave owners. They had these different fields. But um, at the same time, from the metaphysical standpoint, uh, George Washington was aware of planting certain things by lunar cycles, and this was known for hundreds of years, having to do with herbalism and all kinds of other things. Uh, and there were ephemerides. They weren't at, at all as complete as we have now, but it wasn't that hard to figure out where was the moon uh, over a two-day period. The moon is in each sign for about two to two and a half days. And if the moon is in Taurus or the moon is in Cancer, certain signs where the moon uh, which are good for growing crops or bushes or fruit or whatever it may be, depending on the alignments and so on, the season. Whereas, for instance, moon in Virgo is good for weeding and also for medicinal plants. And other kinds of lunar cycles can be good for different reasons. Astrometeorology and uh, weather cycles and planting cycles, using astrology and using moon and also new moon cycles, full moon, quarter moons, there are things to do based on the phases of the moon with plants. And it's a whole history. That, and there's so many other things in this whole field. So at any rate, I just want to present, and this is definitely like a two or three part series. I shared a little bit about this before, but back on, there was a total solar eclipse in 1963. And some of you may remember, be aware, if you're old enough, that Gene Dixon, who was an astrologer, but also psychic, knew, I guess, JFK's chart. He, she had already, I believe it was in Parade Magazine, years before JFK. It might have been around the time he was a vice, vice presidential nominee. He didn't get the nomination. It was, it was um, when Stevenson was nominated by Democrats in 1956. Um, he was attempting to become the, the VP nominee, and he didn't get it. Estes Kefover, I guess, from Tennessee or somewhere in the East Coast, got it. But that put JFK into a, a position of prominence so that he'd be able to, to run. Uh, and he had been a senator uh, for several years. He had started as a representative the same year that Nixon uh, got into uh, the, the House. So did Kennedy in 1946-47. So they came in together, Nixon and Kennedy, and then they opposed each other in 1960. But at any rate, uh, part of the whole tragedy and scenario was that a total solar eclipse happened July 20th, 1963. And with the Meton cycle that goes way back to before the time of Jesus, um, this cycle of a, an eclipse or a new moon on July 20th would happen again 19 years later, which was in 1982, then 19 years later in 2001, hello? And then this year, it uh, happened again. Now, not always, a, not a total solar eclipse. The total solar eclipse hit uh, the Saturn position for JFK in his birth chart. And as I shared before, when I was commenting on this, there is something in astrology about world leaders. It, it happened with Napoleon was born with Saturn above in the 10th house. Saturn traditionally rules Capricorn, the 10th house of a chart. You know, each, how, each, each 
horoscope has 12 divisions, like an apple pie or pizza pie of 12 different areas. They're basically the auric energy field surrounding the Earth. If one looks at a chart, you see a circle in the center, that's the Earth. Then, depending on whether it's a European-style chart or other charts, there's usually 12 fairly equal-looking houses, not always, uh, depending on the astrologer's software and so on. And those are the different houses. Well, anything directly above what we call the 10th house, if, some, if Saturn's up there, uh, now, it may not matter for a business person or anyone who is not a world leader or a governor or somebody in a public position. But Napoleon had this, and of course, he rose to great height, including being the, an emperor and then going uh, into isolation um, after trying to come back uh, with being defeated in Waterloo and so on, an amazing history. But Saturn at the top, so a great rise and then a great fall. Hitler had this position and undoubtedly was even aware of these kind of things and maybe because he thought he was invulnerable or the the gods were with him or whatever he believed. Um, he was also born with a uh, pretty powerful Venus-Mars conjunction. I've studied his chart going all the way back to the crowning of Charlemagne, uh, December 25, Christmas Day, 800 in Rome. And his chart, unfortunately, uh, connects up to that time period. Um, Hitler was born with a Moon-Jupiter conjunction, Capricorn, exactly where the sun was when um, Charlemagne uh, was was made the first Holy Roman Emperor. And that's a very significant chart. It's in a book by Barbara Waters, oddly enough, called Sex and the Outer Planets. But in that in that book, she gives out the chart for European civilization and for Islamic civilization, going back to the time of Muhammad. So um, working with these over the years, publishing information about all this uh, and the JFK chart. But the reason I want to bring it to your attention, and then we're going to move on to two more things. The other Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which you're going to find pretty amazing because I'm finding it amazing. And if I find it amazing and I want to pass it on, and it was a kind of shock. It was almost like an accidental discovery uh, about the Jupiter-Saturn. And then I'm going to wind up with uh, some other things about new moons and full moons, the eclipse of December 14th, but also the election itself. Again, as a little preview, not as the be-all and end-all of my analysis of the election. So Gene Dixon had a vision somewhere in that summer. I don't know, I don't know anybody who knows for sure. Did she do, she may have very well or talked to a colleague where somebody, or the word was, do you know the JFK, there's a total solar eclipse, it's on a Saturn in the 10th house. For whatever reason, she kept reporting as a psychic and astrologer, plus she was doing like daily horoscope kind of things. I don't know where she was doing it. There were all these different people like Carol Ryder, you might know that name. There were the magazines, Dell Horoscope, American Astrology. So with the there and different newspapers, Gene Dixon, Carol Ryder, Sidney Omar, these different people of, you know, from decades ago would be writing sun sign horoscopes, but they'd also potentially be writing articles or, uh, in, in this case, Gene Dixon was not just an astrologer, she was a psychic. Now there were questions of her psychic abilities and when she predicted things right or wrong, but she had a vision of the flag at half mast over the White House, and she tried to warn the White House. So this is part of her story. She said it over and over, and she didn't, I don't know if somewhere she explained, hey, I saw the chart of the total solar eclipse, it's on JFK Saturn, and she may have known the history. Maybe she didn't talk about it. Maybe she talked about it somewhere, wrote about it, but in the public mind, it was like 
somebody did foresee this, like a Nostradamus at that point. And so she would say, and then of course he went to Dallas. She was saying she tried to warn the White House, don't go anywhere. I don't think she ever said, don't go to Dallas. But of course, in Dallas, Texas, where he went that time, there were all these posters wanted for treason. It was a dangerous area. He wanted to go there because LBJ from Texas was the vice president. John Connolly, the governor who um, was there, was also riding in that car on that same day. And he wanted to shore up support in Texas because Barry Goldwater looked like he was going to be um, the conservative right-wing candidate. Uh, Nixon had lost to uh, JFK in 60 in a close election, but then he tried to um, resurrect his career and he ran against uh, Pat Brown, who was the governor of California. Nixon was from California and he lost very badly. And you can go onto YouTube or whatever it is and you want to see supposedly his last speech when he, when this is again so odd that in 1962 losing an election, uh, Richard Nixon said, you won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore because gentlemen, this is my final press conference. And he left because as, as you know, with President Trump, there have been certain presidents who don't exactly want reporters who, just like right now, Jeff Bezos is the owner of the Washington Post. Well, back under the President Nixon, when he did become president, historic comeback, 1968, 69, and then had a second term, we had Watergate. And in Watergate, of course, if you've seen the movie with Robert Redford and D Dustin Hoffman um, on Watergate, um, then we see some of the backstory on all of that, all the president's men. But of course, that was a, a book first. And now we still have Woodward and Bernstein. Bernstein um, is on CNN. And we just have the new book by Woodward. Uh, I mentioned the books by by uh, uh, the two people who, uh, Michael Cohn, who, who was the fixer for Donald Trump with his disloyal and the niece, I don't remember the title of her book, but both of those have come out from people very close to the president, you know, one a fixer and one member of his family, and then kind of the coup de grace, whether it will be or not, from Bob Woodward and like his umpteenth book, maybe the 17th book or whatever it is, called Fury, you know, with these tapes uh, that are exposing President Trump knowing about the pandemic and knowing how terrible it was, and then not telling of the country when he knew about things in February in particular, and then him saying things recently like, well, I didn't want to jump up and down and make everybody upset. Well, nobody ever thought you were going to jump up and down. This is part of the problem in this, the presidency, because uh, he will often say things, if we didn't do anything, millions of people would have died, making it sound like 200,000 people dying, and tens of thousand people now calling themselves long haulers with all kinds of confusion. You can't say something that is absurd, okay? And quite frankly, it's absurd. Any president, can you imagine President Obama, you know, particularly because of the being disparaged by Republicans, doing something where he would say, um, had I done nothing, we would have had 2 million people and then walking off a stage and now saying things like, I believe the government, our executive branch has, has had done things in an A++ level. Um, of work where we're still not doing enough testing. We still are not doing any kind of real contact tracing. It's why we've never, if, if things get more difficult, I believe right now we're at 40,000 cases a day. And of course the president has said, uh, well, if we weren't testing, we wouldn't have the cases. We'd still have the cases. We just wouldn't have the numbers and everything is numbers and things that are high and things that are winning and so on. So 
even the people who support the president, they know, you know, this is all a bunch of gobbledygook and so on. But it's really worse than that, considering what could have happened and warnings that could have occurred without a president jumping up and down. He wouldn't have had to panic the public. I mean, he, he often quotes Winston Churchill recently wrongly saying Winston Churchill was on a roof. No, that was um, one of the main reporters um, who some of the people uh, reporting the Battle of Britain uh, worked for CBS. Um, Edward R. Murrow, um, there were others um, who, that was radio in those days because we didn't have television. Now there would have been photography of them reporting on radio and things like that. Um, and some, uh, there may have been certain kind of video recordings, of course, and, and photography in that way, but we didn't have television. And so Winston Churchill gave great speeches as a prime minister, but he wouldn't have been on a roof somewhere to give um, the Luftwaffe. Uh, I mean, he was down in uh, the underground. He w that's where he went when so many of, of people in London were trying to survive that whole battle of Britain there. So we've got, we've got this whole issue. So I just wanted to bring up the fact that there is this metonic cycle. And we had a repeat of the July 20th, 1963. Uh, it wasn't an eclipse necessarily, but it was a new moon. Repeated in 1982, we started sending our troops into Beirut. And the following year was when we lost about 241 Marines in barracks there based on um, the repeat of this cycle. Now, 27 plus of cancer, which was on the Saturn position for President Kennedy, is the opposite position to the United States Pluto. That's part of the reason, undoubtedly, the connection to Pluto, as well as um, the total solar eclipse of the summer of 1963 being on the president Saturn in his 10th house, exactly also opposite the United States Pluto. And um, the Vesta position from 2017 in the chart for President Trump and Vice President Pence, Pence taking the oath of office, that Vesta retrograde position that I mentioned that the East Coast astrologer ignored that's retrograde in that chart is at 27 plus of Cancer opposite the United States Pluto which is part of the explanation of why this administration that started in 2017, the safety security factors, and there's so many different levels, was separate from so many of the other planets and the only retrograde moving planet. So um, then in 2001, again, on July 20th, during the summer, this is when Condoleezza Rice reported later, Oh, we, we never imagined that planes would hit buildings, which is one of the most ridiculous comments that anyone has ever made. Unfortunately, I don't care whether she's a Republican or a Democrat. If she were a Democrat, it would be equally ridiculous. And she got all flustered. This was a couple of years later. They had had warnings um, in that summer. Osama bin Laden to hit America was trying to do something. And so the reason that they either didn't take it seriously enough, she wound up giving one of the greatest and most ridiculous excuses. We never imagined planes would hit buildings. Well, first of all, part of your job is to imagine the possibilities, not just be a, a focus on words and language. And plus, the White hasn't already been warned. Well, there are airplanes. There are people who are coming into the United States to study. Uh, the Immigration Service wasn't necessarily pre preventing certain of the people from Saudi Arabia, the 17 of, of 19 hijackers and so on, who wound up studying here, being part of learning how to fly, fly planes, and then the, the whole horrible thing of 911. So now we have this other summer, 19 years later. 
So these summers of 1963, 1982, 2001, and now 2020, we just had another one of these. So here's the point, is that the, the new moon of July 20th, 2020, happening night, a, a metonic cycle of 19 years from the other ones, was on the Vesta retrograde position from the inauguration of, of Trump and Pence on January 20th of 2017, and also opposite the United States Pluto again, which again is on the verge of coming back. So that's all part of the scenario. So now, um, hold on a second. I'm just grabbing my heliocentric ephemeris. So uh, in the School of Planetary Studies, which is the school of I started back in the 1980s with cassette tape with a handful of students, I forget, maybe 12, 15. We, we wound up doing beginners, intermediate, and advanced, 36 one-hour classes, lesson notes, and charts. Now, this is now, it, it eventually morphed into CDs, and now it's an MP3 file. So on Great Bear Enterprise, you'll see the School of Planetary Studies. In the advanced series, there's... Uh, a heliocentric astrology. Now, heliocentric astrology, you might say heliocentric astrology, does that really exist? Well, I have news for you. It's a big deal, but it's not a big deal with regular astrologers who work with what we call the geocentric chart. What you consider your birth chart is geocentric. It's based on the earth, not based on the sun being at the center. In heliocentric chart, and I, I, I will I've already taken a picture, so there will be a picture of the what's called the American Heliocentric Ephemeris, 2001 to 2050, compiled and programmed by Neil F. Mickelson, introduction by Robert Hand. Now, Michael Erlewine, um, who is the person who's done so many different things in the field of astrology, older than myself, um, he's the one, if you get any of these reports, almost all of them, well, all except the numerology report, which comes from a different company. All the reports that are available in our astrology shop at Great Bear Enterprises, the computerized reports, are all matrix software reports. Michael Erlewine, great astrologer, um, and uh, so many other areas in his life about music and so many things in which he pioneered uh, in, the, in, the, in the state of Michigan, and I visited him way back in the 70s. We had an actually a little controversy in the beginning because when I heard he was doing work with Helio, I was flabbergasted. How are you doing it? How does the Zodiac work? And he has established so much. And so when I did my Helio Astrology uh, class, uh, 28, uh, in the advanced series, um, I mentioned him. There's um, just a short list of notes, but here's the story. So in a recent podcast, I shared about the Aquarian age. You can go back a couple of podcasts. Literally, uh, I think it was 1998 um, or 2000 when I did um, from the magazine that the Aquarian age would take 90 plus years. And I gave all kinds of conjunctions in Aquarius. And back in that magazine, I gave out the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction geocentrically, the one that we are all focused on as mundane Earth astrologers, will happen on December 21, 2020. It's happening on the day of the winter solstice. And by the way, within one day of that time is the third of three Mars-Eris conjunctions, Eris being a faraway planet, 
considered the sister of Mars. So you can go back to the Mars retrograde uh, podcast I did for more about the potency and the challenge of Mars and Eris coming together as part of all this. Also in that particular podcast, I, I have the charts in that Mars retrograde podcast for the station of Mars on September 9th going retrograde, the station of Mars going direct on November 13th, and on the day that Mercury stations to go retrograde October 13th, oddly enough, the Sun and Mars are opposite with Mars retrograde. So that's a Sun-Mars opposition. That's all part of the challenges coming up the next couple of months. Well, for whatever reason, every so often I look at in the ephemeris. It goes from the heliocentric ephemeris. I did a whole class on it decades ago. I was aware and have been aware every so often to look things up in the helio frame of reference. Now, in a helio chart, for instance, and charts can be done in helio, but what happens is there's no sun in there because it's based on the sun. So the earth shows up and the earth is exactly opposite. Wherever your sun sign is, if you're if you're a Pisces sun, then you're going to have a Virgo earth. If you're a Virgo sun sign, you're going to have a Pisces earth. The, the earth will sh show up in that chart and be a part of whatever patterns. Generally speaking, in horoscope charts, as you'll see with this one, um, which is very exciting to kind of present here, which is called Jupiter, Saturn, and Helio. So we'll get to that in a moment because this is pretty astounding. So the, the chart generally, you can have um, the 12 houses. They usually, for many uh, Helio um, aficionados, would put zero Aries on the first house and then zero Taurus on the second. There's no moon because from 93, if you're doing a solar chart, the Earth is 93 million miles away from the sun, okay, beyond Venus, beyond Mercury, and so on. In that case, the moon is so small because the moon is literally um, our satellite, only about 225,000 miles from us. For whatever reason, I mean, the, the moon and the Earth are going to be in the same place anyway. So if, if you were going to put a moon into a heliocentric chart, wherever the, the Earth would be at that degree, the moon would be right there, you know, right next to it. So if you were going to put a moon in, you could do it, but generally that's not even used. So what you have in the heliocentric chart, right, is an Earth, no sun, no moon, and you're not really dealing with rising sign or anything because, as Michael Erlewine would explain, I just was on uh, online and I saw two stories. He was reminding people of all the helio work, and I thought this is amazing because I'm doing all this, and I just discovered this particular thing recently. And I, I was curious, was he going to talk about this? But he was focused on more of the overall structure of why, and he was pretty clear that he's disappointed in so many astrologers that they haven't studied heliocentric astrology because to him the helio chart each one of us has a helio chart and a geo chart and he has all these different examples and from the from the page i might as well say this um this is from my own notes okay from back in the 80s when i did this particular um class Dear students, I'm just reading from what I wrote. I've really enjoyed doing this tape. Now it's an MP3 file. Everything is online. And we have discounts as well for the School of Planetary Studies. So I said, I've really enjoyed doing this tape for you. Heliocentric astrology opens up another exciting door in the world of cosmic astrology. It is likely that much more will be understood on the subject in the 21st century. The best research on the subject is the American heliocentric ephemeris, which, by the way, at that time was 1901 to 2000. Now the new one is 2001 to 2050, again by Neil Mickelson. 
and I mentioned it contains an excellent introduction to the topic by world-famous astrologer Robert Hand. Again, he wrote the introduction for the new one and the picture you should see that on Great Bear Enterprises in this uh, podcast number 62. And then I mentioned otherwise contact Michael Erlewine of Matrix Software. I mentioned where he was living in Michigan. Now I believe he, well, I think he's still living in Michigan, but his business merged with another business. Um, and I mentioned Michael Erlewine has done more than anyone else to describe how heliocentric astrology works, its philosophy, application, etc. Michael may have some reprints of his lectures on heliocentric astrology. And I think that's what he just provided on his Facebook um, area. His last name is, its first name is Michael, last name E-R-L-E-W-I-N-E. Without him, all of these reports, Skylog, Timeline, AstroTalk, which he designed himself, um, Life Progressions, um, Just for Women, uh, heaven knows what, you can go through the whole list, natal, different natal reports, particularly these transit progression reports, um, so many others that are available. Um, and then he gives keywords for the for the two different archetypes of what he calls the T-square helio archetype and the trine helio archetype. This is, in other words, he's, he did a whole series of understandings how you could look at the heliocentric chart and if there was a trine focus of triangular energies to Michael... This represents certain things. The try and focus he lists, just as an example, yin, space, white blood cells, being careful out of the body, wants in, eternal host, born to love, so on. Whereas the T-square, which is more of a 90-degree um, a relationship of two celestial bodies being opposite and third one, 90 degrees to both. For instance, he has yang there, whereas the trine heliochetype is yin. For the T-square heliotype is time, and the trine is space. The T-square helioarchetype, red blood cell, the trine, white blood cell. T-square helioarchetype, careless, the trine helio, careful. Um, and so on, this list of, of mirror images, all concerning the helio chart, not helio compared to the geo. In general, Michael believes, and I understand what he's saying and why it's significant, that the true spiritual chart for a person on a more soul, higher level, shall we say, at least to him, is the helio chart, which is happening at the same moment of time, but from a heliocentric perspective with the sun at the center of the solar system. And while, you're, while we're focused in the geo chart, transits, progressions, that's more of, to him, our little lives, personalities, family, business, health issues, money issues, whatever it is, but there is the higher kind of who we are on a more soul, spiritual level. And Michael has also been very much a part of Tibetan Buddhism and different philosophies and religions and done so much with music and so on. So what happened? here's what happened. <laughs> For whatever reason, and it wasn't that long ago, I, was look, I, I referred to a helio alignment a couple of months ago in a podcast. So every so often, I'll just take a look at it. So I don't know if this was three weeks ago, whatever. I suddenly looked at November. Okay, the election is coming up. And I did this double take, and I'm looking now. November 2nd, the Monday before, the day before the election, I see Jupiter conjunct Saturn, which is in the sort of bottom half. If you get this ephemeris, 
it looks different from a regular geocentric ephemeris. You still, again, there's no sun position. There's an earth position. There's Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, um, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Now, when you do a chart, you can put in the asteroids, you can put in Chiron, you can put them in. And, and, and yet, in the ephemeris um, that's printed, they're not actually given because we're looking at a kind of bigger perspective. However, this is what we call the aspectarian, the list of aspects or mathematical alignments. So it turns out there's an exact time which is given, 631, which is um, fundamentally uh, time in England or the Greenwich Meridian. So five hours earlier than that um, is 1.31 in the afternoon. And that's the time you will see on the chart that I have provided at Great Bear Enterprise. It's called Jupiter, Saturn, and Helio. November 2nd, 2020, 1.31 p.m., Washington. Now, from the heliocentric perspective, with the Earth 93 million miles away, my doing this for Washington, D.C., or you do it for London, or Baghdad, or Tokyo, or Bombay, or wherever you're going to do it, Jupiter and Saturn are still going to be 1 Aquarius 50, the second degree of Aquarius. But in this chart, you'll see them showing up in the 11th house. I'm not giving a significance to these positions, although it is interesting that the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is pretty close to squaring Mars, uh, which isn't an easy alignment. Mars in this chart shows up at 2 plus a Taurus. But so, so this is why I, I wanted to do a whole thing on this. So what we've got is we have two Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions. And on coast to coast, eight years ago, during the time of the whole Mayan calendar, uh, I was almost going to say fiasco, but when everyone was, all the books were written, oh, you know, the world is ending, Armageddon, all these different challenges and so on, we had the situation, and I was on coast to coast a couple of months before December 2012, and George Norrie asked me in the close of that time, did I see anything about the Mayan calendar. And I literally told him, I said, here's important, what's important. This is eight years ago. I said to him on the show, so if, if you join their thing, you could even possibly find that podcast where I said it at the end. I said, George, the more significant uh, time is eight years from this year, meaning 2020. And what was odd was the day the Mayan calendar was supposed to end was at the winter solstice, December 21, 2012. Well, of course, that didn't happen. But the Jupiter-Saturn geocentric conjunction that mundane and Earth astrologers like myself have been watching that I wrote about and printed 20 plus years ago in Welcome to Planet Earth, which was part of the, the, um, the Aquarian Age uh, takes 90 plus years, which again is podcast 60, I guess it is, um, or 59, I think it's 60. And you can see, and we show a picture of the chart itself that I published 20 plus years ago of what's going to happen December 21 um, of this year. And that shows Jupiter and Saturn merging at zero plus Aquarius, the first day of Aquarius. Whereas now we have one happening earlier from the heliocentric perspective, which is still going to be exact and powerful on the day of the election. So it's exact the afternoon in Washington, D.C., if we're going to say exact, absolutely exact, from the Helios perspective, looking out to Jupiter and Saturn, from the sun's viewpoint, they come together one degree Aquarius and 50 minutes of arc. Then we don't have it geocentrically. We have to wait what would be 28, 49 days from November 2nd, 
from the heliocentric perspective, we have to wait 49 days until December 21 when we on Earth, from the Earth standpoint, to us, Jupiter and Saturn come together one degree earlier. So what I wanted to do was from the astrological mandala from Dane Rudyard, which I've quoted from, this is a reinterpretation of the Sabian symbols from his colleague, Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, that the original Sabian symbols, an extraordinary feat by uh, a psychic Elsie Wheeler in San Diego at a park, I think it was only on one day with a 360 different index cards, became what's called the Sabian symbols. And an so impressed Dane Rudyard uh, as, as a colleague that he reinterpreted them and added more material in the late 60s or early 1970s and created uh, an astrological mandala, the cycle of transformations and its 360 symbolic phases. So I'm just going to read part of these things because we've got two Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions and it's amazing that the first one coincides with the election. That's what's so amazing to me, kind of grabbing the ephemeris. It's, it's, it's near my main computer, but I don't, there's so many books. I, the fact that I looked at it and I really did a double take, if not a triple take, and I, and I wanted to make sure I had this right. Yeah, only one of these things heliocentrically, because sometimes you can get Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions three times, depending on retrograde motion. The one that we're going to have December 21 is the one we're having. And this starts what's called the great mutation of these two largest planets, which have so much to do with business and society and profession and how the world is things that are cultural and just epic moving kinds of things. So we've had Jupiter Saturn cycles in earth science since 1841, except for an anomaly where there were three Jupiter Saturn conjunctions in Libra on the last day of December, 1980. And then I've been researching this again because it was the time Reagan came into office, Ronald Reagan, and then he was almost assassinated. It was before Welcome to Planet Earth began, and so we never really wrote about it. So we, there were conjunctions of Jupiter and Saturn in an anomalous position in Libra, December 31, 1980. You may remember that John Lennon had been killed, had been assassinated December 8th. It was reported by Howard Cosell on Monday Night Football. So he had actually been killed, and so the whole world was going through that. And then President Reagan, if you read more about it, was almost died. Um, and again, there had been this whole thing that had happened from 1841, Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions in Earth signs, where William Henry Harrison died in office giving a speech. He was in the rain. He caught a cold. He was only president for a month. Ch John Tyler took over. Then we had Jupiter and Saturn in 1861. Lincoln was assassinated uh, five, four years later after the Civil War. Then James Garfield, Jupiter and Saturn again in 1881 come together again in an Earth sign. He's killed in an assassination. Tooth, uh, then we get 1901, William McKinley in a second term is assassinated and Teddy Roosevelt takes over, the youngest president ever, by the way, as vice president. And he had not been vice president four years earlier. So you can get to see, uh, some of this is covered in, in a Destiny series that I will present at some point in the near future. And then William, uh, then Warren Harding is president in 19. 2021, but he dies uh, in office. I think he got sick. I, I don't remember exactly, but Calvin Coolidge takes over. It was either food poison or something. He's not assassinated. But then Franklin Roosevelt, there are three Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions uh, in the early, in the 1940-41 time period, which is during the Battle of Britain after World War II started. 
and Roosevelt winds up having his third term and then a fourth term, but then he dies of a cerebral hemorrhage, so never comes out of the presidency. Um, and then we have JFK, Jupiter and Saturn conjunct in Capricorn a month after he's inaugurated, he's assassinated uh, and dies. So this was called for a while Tecumseh's curse against American presidents. Astrologers saw this as Jupiter and Saturn conjunctions in Earth signs and Earth representing the more mundane or lower level, the four elements of fire, earth, air, and water. But Reagan, Ronald Reagan, when Jupiter and Saturn are in Libra, we do have the death of John Lennon just before that happens. And then we have December 31, 1980, Jupiter and Saturn together around nine of Libra. Then they retrograde together and are exact, oddly enough, on March 4th, 1981, the old date when presidents were inaugurated. And I was just researching it. Uranus is not moving. And then we wind up with the third one, July 24th of 1981, all in early Libra, a, an air sign, which is where we're moving in now. We'll have Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius on December 21. And then 20 years later, if you go back to my article from uh, the magazine from 20, 22 years ago, the Aquarian age takes uh, 90 plus years. You'll see I gave out other dates, like 20 years after 2020, we have another Jupiter, Saturn, and air. Then 20 years after that, 2060, 2080. Generally, each of these elements lasts about 180 years. The whole cycle takes 794 years of Jupiter, Saturn conjunctions approximately every 20 years, usually once, sometimes three times. These are all geocentric. Now, I mean, I could go back and investigate. I, I don't have all the time in the world to do it. Where were the Jupiter-Saturn helio conjunctions like um, at the time of JFK? What happened um, in any of these time periods with when Ronald Reagan almost was assassinated? When was the, the Jupiter-Saturn heliocentric conjunction? So that was all happening. Now, for the first time that I know of, this is being presented. So Aquarius, one degree is where the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is going to be on December 21 that starts this uh, mutation cycle lasting for like 180 years. And we're moving from an Earth energy of business and things that are physical and things like where economic stuff is cash. Now we're moving into air, which is more of, that's why we get things about digital currency and the online universe and all this technology because we're moving into more of this air mentality or energy, some of which is positive, some of which is not. So Jupiter and Saturn is the largest planets. I mean, these movements every 20 years and in different elements, you can go back in history over hundreds and hundreds of years. And I do have some books on that. And you can go back to the Renaissance and the time of Jesus and before that, uh, or the time in the 500s with the rise of Islam and the cathedrals of Europe and all kinds of things. It's just fascinating, the Reformation. So number one, uh, Aquarius, geocentrically, December 21, Jupiter, Saturn, me, uh, for the first time since uh, May of 2000, when Jupiter and Saturn met in Taurus, the, the one of Aquarius is in a, an old Adobe mission in California. The keynote that Rudyard gives, the power inherent in all great human works to endure far beyond the worker's lifespans. Uh, he says the works and spirit of the Spanish priests who directed the building of the California missions. Now think about this with the fires in California and everything going on here. This is pretty interesting. Uh, plus the fires, supposedly the fire season 
is said to be more in October, and the fires, particularly the one in Los Angeles and other places, are still burning. We still have fires up here in Oregon. Okay, so Rudyard says, the works and spirit of the Spanish priests who directed the building of the California missions have had a lasting influence on the development of this land. These remain as a monument to the men. He, again, Rudyard, among so many different people, really mean to say men and women, but for whatever reason, during these male chauvinist uh, decades and centuries, um, sorry if if as a, a woman you're hearing this, it's not just men. But again, to just quote what he's saying, the Spanish priests um, who built the California missions have had a lasting influence on the development of this land. These remain as a monument to the men who were able to make their mark upon this alien environment. While the zodiacal sign Capricorn begins with a symbol of socio-political power, Aquarius at its start presents a more spiritualized and idealistic or creative picture of the social forces at work. Moreover, it stresses the enduring character of human achievements and soul by a great vision, at least within the frame of reference of our Western civilization. The symbol speaks of the projection of a noble ideal into concrete forms of beauty and significance, thus of the radiation of a civilizing power into an institution offering to primitive men the opportunity to reach a higher, more organized and productive level of activity. He talks about uh, the concretization of an ideal. That's the symbol for Jupiter and Saturn, kind of for us mortals here on Earth, for all of humanity in the Earth, experiencing Jupiter, Saturn coming together in Aquarius, starting the air uh, mutation for about 180 years or so. Aquarius number two, the second degree, is where Jupiter and Saturn meet earlier on November 2nd, as you'll see from looking at that helio version of Jupiter and Saturn. Here's the symbol there, and, and, and this is part of the other reason I wanted to bring it to your attention with the symbol an unexpected thunderstorm. Now remember, I'm sharing this with you on the same day that Juno is exactly rising in Scorpio in the Washington DC chart for the sun entering Libra. And the shadow side of Juno, and particularly in, a, in Scorpio and exactly rising, is storms, whether physical storms like hurricanes or what's been happening on the West Coast, with air, hazardous air, and the fires. Fires connect a lot to the sun, to Mars, to Vesta, in particular, some of those planets. Juno, which traditionally is connected to Libra and Venus. Um, and now we're entering the sun, entering uh, Libra with Juno exactly rising in Scorpio. This, to me, as I referred to a friend, a kind of perfect storm or storm of storms. Now, I hope to God and to the goddess that we do not have more and more of these hurricanes, but it is still hurricane season, usually ends fairly soon. But just recently, there were five storms and they had to rename, they got through the whole alphabet and started using alpha and beta and gamma and so on, where they go into the Greek alphabet. That, that That's only happened, I think, one other time a while back. So here's the symbol for the Jupiter-Saturn from, from the Helio perspective, November 2nd. An unexpected thunderstorm keynote the need to develop the inner security which will enable us to meet unexpected crises. Well, that's certainly symbolic of everything we've been going through this year. And so many people looking at 2020 as, oh my God, you know, how much more intense can it possibly get? Any rate, he says it's an interesting connection can be made between the symbols for Taurus 1 and 2, a clear mountain stream, and an electrical storm, and those for Aquarius 1 and 2. 270 degrees apart, a waning square in terms of a cycle relationship such as the lunation cycle. In the first case, 
which he means a torus, we deal with energies or activities that can be related to the natural development of the individual. But here, with the Aquarius two degrees, we are primarily concerned with social collective processes and the function of the individual within them. I mean, is that, I'm just adding this now, is that not telling or what about now, an unexpected thunderstorm? The symbol itself, Rudyard says, an unexpected thunderstorm could be given a very positive meaning in an arid environment, but the emphasis on unexpected tends to accent the sudden and dangerous character of the event. Such a thunderstorm in a region of dry hills can cause a devastating flood. Now, this is uncanny. I'm adding this now. This was just a warning given out here in Oregon with a lot of the hillsides after some of these fires and the hazardous air, we had rain coming in. We had a lot of rain and there were all these warnings of potential floods. Now, with with uh, the Juno energy and Mars op opposing Juno recently and Juno on the horizon, that southern area of Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, western Florida, and then inland, so many of these areas, this is exactly what it was. The, the storm recently that hit the hurricane, uh, I guess it was, I forget exactly, the, oh, Sally, was like, a, it was a one into a two, so it wasn't a four or five. But the amount of rainfall and its slow motion, and as the weather forecasters were saying, we're, with, with climate change, regardless of where it's coming from, these storms are getting more intense. We're have, I just downloaded a story. Uh, often we hear about the Antarctic um, ice, well, the Arctic as well. Tremendous amounts of melting, and this is definitely affecting currents and air and temperatures, extremes of heat and cold in different time periods. So, and again, ending this particular area, um, Roger says, such a thunderstorm in a region of dry hills can cause a devastating flood. At any rate, it refers to an event for which one is not prepared, a menace to men's works. And then he goes on, All you, um, under a downpour of rain, adobe brick can return to mud. All human institutions and their achievements can be washed away, even in their day of great glory. Quote, dust you were, dust you must become, unquote. This is nature's challenge. So that is pretty extraordinary. So let's see where we're at. Um, I do want to share about the U.S. election uh, chart in general. And I want to mention, okay, so we're at, we're almost at two hours. So I'm doing pretty well here from my own estimate. A couple of things that are happening. I'm not going to give every one of these, but Saturn makes a station to go from retrograde to direct next, um, next Monday. Oh, actually in East Coast time, it's early Tuesday. So I'm going to, hopefully present that chart. If that chart is not in here, it will be presented elsewhere. And in Washington, D.C., it's pretty significant. This is Saturn being motionless. Those kind of charts can be very significant to look at for cities, for countries, and so on, state capitals, national capitals. For the United States, this Saturn station happening at 1.13 a.m. Eastern Time, September 29th, Saturn exactly setting on the right side of the chart that can represent from money and astro astrology, our allies or open enemies of people who want to do us harm. And again, a Saturn station um, lasts for several months until the next one will happen sometime in the spring. I think it's April of 2021. And the way these things work is Eleanor Bach, uh, again, my, one of my great teachers, she wrote a lot about stations and their power and certain degrees of the Zodiac, and they will last for several months until the next station happens. This one happens to occur on the day of the first presidential inauguration. 
Okay, um, well, from the Pacific time uh, is actually uh, the night of the 28th, but this happens early on the 29th, which is Tuesday. And also on that day, Mars and Saturn are squaring. And that's in this chart. They're very close. These two traditional malefics are at right angles to each other from 25 plus Aries to 25 plus Capricorn. And so Mars is in the upper region of the 10th house over Washington, D.C. Saturn is setting. Uh, there are other things that are going on. Mercury and Juno are in a conjunction at the bottom of the chart. I actually haven't analyzed it all that much. I just wanted to make sure you have it. Uh, and the rising area of this chart is within one degree of the United States Mercury. So this is a very significant happening. And again, because it's the first of, of the presidential debates in Cleveland, I suppose both uh, Biden and, and Trump will go there personally. Um, but the questions may come from a virtual audience. There's probably going to be, I think there's three reporters, they'll probably be there physically. But I'm pretty sure there won't be in an audience unless they change that. So this might be stranger for uh, the president of the United States who likes to be at rallies. And we'll see how that works. And then the next two will be, I've already looked at those dates, the next two presidential inaugurations, uh, excuse me, presidential debates will be, and maybe that was a Freudian slip there that uh, often it's through debates. This is, happens a lot that somebody says something wrong or there, it's happened so many different times. And the first debates were, were Nixon and Kennedy. And the people who watched them um, actually felt Kennedy came off much better, whereas it was said that on the radio, if people were listening, they thought Nixon was okay. But on TV, Nixon was sweating. He had a five o'clock shadow with he hadn't shaved. Kennedy looked uh, more elegant or <laughs> clearer to people. And people hadn't known Kennedy as much. And so that gave Kennedy a chance to sort of present himself. On the 15th, um, there'll be the next, well, there'll be a vice presidential debate, supposedly on October 7th, or Wednesday. Interesting, Gemini moon, Mercury opposite Uranus, Sun and Mars entangling with each other. If you are a subscriber to the Cosmic Calendar, which is not that expensive, you can look ahead at certain points. You'll be able to look ahead to October 7th. Um, you'll be able to look ahead to these different dates in, in a little while. All of October will be in the Cosmic Calendar if you're a paid subscriber. Um, Mike Pence is a sun in Gemini, maybe even a moon in Gemini, and the moon will be in Gemini when he is debating Kamala Harris, who is a Gemini rising person. We do know her chart, and I've, I've given out um, two podcasts on Biden and, Biden and Kamala Harris, and she has Gemini rising in the whole orbit of the moon. Uh, which has been returning for her as she's been nominated, uh, rising and setting also in Gemini. So that'll be interesting. The, the vice presidential debate on a rather challenging day in the sky with a Gemini moon, Mercury opposite Uranus, Sun and Mars uh, afflicting each other. There's a couple of good alignments that day, but the Sun and Pallas Athena are also square. And there's a long void moon on October 7th. On October 15th, the so-called second presidential debate, assuming that happens, dark of the moon, a day before the new moon, which dark of the moon phase is the end of a sun-moon cycle of 29 days, often represents finishing things up, completing things from the few weeks before. That morning, the sun in Libra and Pluto and Capricorn are squaring each other. That only happens twice a year that the sun and Pluto can be at right angles. The fact that that second presidential debate happens in the dark of the moon would seem to indicate that from the first one of September 29th, 
Now two weeks have gone by or two plus weeks, and then there's been a vice presidential debate. We don't know where everything will stand at that point, the pandemic, flu, mail things, and other things that are unknown. And then the last one is on October 22nd. I don't have the locations. And again, and again, those could change, but talk about an interesting last date if they, if they even have it. The moon will be in Capricorn. We've talked a lot about Jupiter and, and, and Pluto are going to come together on November 12th. Uh, Saturn in Capricorn, uh, that'll be the day before Mars stations to go direct in the middle of Aries. Uh, Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn and Pluto were together in January during a new moon, full moon time period, which was when the pandemic uh, came about. And we hadn't had a Saturn-Pluto conjunction since 1982, which was an enormously long time ago. Um, so we're talking about like 37 years before. So Thursday, the 22nd of October, it's amazing who picks these things. The sun goes into Scorpio late in the afternoon uh, or early evening on the East Coast. So that debate would be either have just started or about to start the sun shifting from Libra to Scorpio. Earlier in the day, the moon conjunct Jupiter in the sky, the moon conjunct Pluto in the sky. And then later on, the moon conjunct Saturn in the sky, another void moon. And Vesta goes into Virgo on that day. We know Vesta has a lot to do with safety and security. So the sun goes into Scorpio, uh, the moon, uh, Vesta goes into Virgo, Early that day, the moon is with Pallas Athena, the goddess of justice and knowledge and wisdom in Capricorn. It's an extraordinary day to start off the Scorpio time period. And of course, the the election, regardless of how long it's going to take, on uh, November 3rd is in the, in the month of the sun being in Scorpio. And here we find whoever decided on these dates that the last debate would be uh, the day that the sun goes into Scorpio with all these lunar alignments. And the following morning is a first quarter moon, which is often a crisis in action. So the next day, the moon does go does go into Aquarius about 8.18 in the morning Eastern time. And that means the moon, the day after the last debate, again, assuming they do have three debates and something doesn't change, the moon will be at the inauguration future degree, zero plus of Aquarius that morning. And there'll be a, a first quarter moon square during that with the moon at zero plus Aquarius and the sun at zero plus Scorpio. So now we get another sort of conflagration. And this is just following a void moon and these other events of October 22nd on Thursday, the last debate. So as we go into that Friday weekend, October 23rd, 24th, 25th, we certainly have a kind of heck of a, I was going to say H-E-L-L, but it's a heck of a uh, beginning in the country, whoever, uh, our country watching this. On that day, there's also Mars squaring Pallas Athena. There's a couple of favorable alignments and the moon will be in Aquarius, which is the moon sign for the United States. So it's during that weekend that we will have for the country a lunar return in Aquarius that will happen more of Saturday the 24th into the early hours of Sunday 25. So there'll be all these forecasts, who did what, where the polls are standing, who goofed up, who didn't goof up, in what ways, how major, how minor. So that's a little preview on that. Um, before we get to the election night chart, I did mention, okay, there's going to be a full moon October 31 on Halloween. Now there's other new moons, uh, full moon activity. There is going to be 
Well, uh, let's just focus on this for a minute. I've watched this for a long time. I've been thinking before this stuff with the mail. When we had the pandemic happening, I looked ahead. Wow, there's going to be a full moon on October 31 on Halloween, four days before the election. And the sun is going to be opposite the moon, but not only the moon, Uranus, the planet of radical change, the planet that was discovered 1781, um, which is kind of the American planet of revolution, success over the British, uh, the, the British Empire, really, in 1781, after July 4th of 1776, and all the challenges of that Revolutionary War, and then the discovery of Uranus um, on March 13 in Bath, England, 1781, and then the victory by Washington over Cornwallis, October 19, 1781, all the fortunes for America, which was so tough for many years, changed, and Uranus had been discovered, ironically, in England by a German emigre, Sir William Herschel. So the reason this is so significant to me is, first of all, Uranus can be a planet of shocks and topsy-turvy kinds of things and so many other meanings. If you go to Astro Business Keys, complimentary on the, on the website, you will see all of, all of the Uranian energies there. But um, I've shared so many. Most of you know what Uranus is capable of. It can represent breakthroughs in consciousness, but also breakdowns and in communications. Uh, Uranus has a lot to do with radio and television and information. It uh, has a lot to do with the, the sort of heights of individual energy. It's different than Neptune, which is more collectivistic. I uh, don't want to give a whole rendition on it. But the key is that when President Trump was born, um, he is born with Sun conjunct Uranus within a few degrees. And the North Node, the fate destiny point, is kind of right in between them. So he's um, the, the only of the three sun sign Gemini presidents, uh, including JFK and George Bush number one, who has the sun with Uranus. Now, JFK's sun was on the United States Uranus, and Uranus has a lot to do with the, the shocks and the topsy-turvy conditions of JFK's presidency, the Bay of Pigs, um, Cuban Missile Crisis, the first nuclear uh, test ban treaty of three countries, the United States, the Soviet Union, and UK in the summer, the same summer he had the total solar eclipse in the metonic cycle on his Saturn. This is when this great achievement um, started the ball of, of curtailing nuclear weapons before JFK was assassinated in the fall. So JFK's son is on the United States Uranus. George Bush, number one, the second Gemini sun sign president has sun on our United States Mars from July 4, 76. He has exactly sun square Uranus which is another reason why I was so troubled in 1987-88 when he was running against Dukakis. Then Dukakis flubbed. Um, George Bush had a, an amazing you know, electoral victory over Dukakis. I, I think he got almost 400 electoral votes, so it was a wipeout. And, then, um, and it didn't seem like it was going to be that way. That's why this whole issue of whether Biden will do okay or not, we don't know. We'll see what the debates are and what happens. Any, any of these persons says a lie, an untruth, uh, flubs, makes a mistake, can get incredibly magnified. Same thing with the vice presidential debate, although that is usually not as substantial, but it's with the, the two main figures debating each other three times. Anything can happen. And now we're seeing these extraordinary energies of these dates that have been cho chosen or been foisted upon them. So um, that full moon on Halloween, of all things, sun, opposite moon, also the moon with Uranus, the opposite energy, in other words, 
Donald Trump, born June 14, 1946, comes in, Sun conjunct Uranus in Gemini, North Node there. It's a similar kind of thing that um, Bill Clinton and George Bush, number two, they're, all these three people, including Trump, are born in the summer of 1946. They all have Uranus with the North Node in Gemini. These three presidents, first Clinton, then we get Bush, number two, and then we get um, we get uh, Donald Trump. What I've shared this before, I think it was in the last podcast about American royalty and Donald Trump. Why, except for the eight years of President Obama, why since 1993 do we have three presidents all born in the summer of 1946, right after World War II? The main thing, there are a couple of other things, the main thing that we see there is Uranus conjunct the North Node in all three of those presidents, Bill Clinton, George Bush number two, and our current president. In fact, George Bush, who's born with his son, George Bush number two, born July 6th um, of 1946, his son is the United States son, 13 plus a cancer, which is extraordinary in and of itself because of 911, the wars that are still going on, particularly the Afghanistan side, but still in Iraq all these years later. And he has the most exact Uranus on the North Node of the three presidents, George Bush, number two. So it's a, this is all very fascinating and disturbing. But it would seem to me that whatever is going to go on at that full moon on Halloween, wherever the president is going to be at, which would be approximately nine days after the last debate, and right at the end of this whole cycle of whatever has been happening. Remember the president, this will be a Saturday Halloween full moon. Then we get just the next day is All Saints Day. Then we get Monday, uh, November 2nd, which now... Uh, we, now we know that's the other Jupiter-Saturn conjunction from a heliocentric perspective. And then we also have on November 3rd, Mercury, which has which went retrograde or will go retrograde on October 13th, literally stops the morning, uh, approximately 12.53 p.m. East Coast, 9.53 a.m. on Election Day the 2nd. Um, so Mercury's not moving. And I will have a lot more to say about the election night chart. On that day, though, November 3rd, Tuesday, Venus and Uranus, they'll be in what we call an oblique 150 degree alignment that most astrologers call a quincunx or an inconjunct, where the two planets, whatever they are, need to adjust to one another or an adjustment needs to be made. Well, Venus and Libra on election day uh, represents Venus is the traditional ruler of Libra as it does rule Taurus. Libra represents justice, fairness, balance, um, equality. So we've got Venus and Libra uh, in an odd, unusual, hard to decipher 150-degree aspect to what? Uranus and Taurus. And one of the things that Taurus we know represents, I mean, it's Earth and its solidity. It also represents, it's the first um, Earth sign and has a lot to do with economic things. And we've had Uranus in Taurus now for several years. Part of the reason why the Fed has had to put in all these trillions of dollars. We see banking changes, regulations being eliminated by this particular administration, this plutocracy, undermining or changing all of the Obama accomplishments. And not only Obama accomplishments, the Environmental Protection Agency began under Richard Nixon. And I did have a podcast on that. That goes all the way back to 1970 when Nixon was in his first administration, and that was kind of universally accepted. When we were growing up, there was something called Arbor Day, uh, which is about trees. And so that was historical in our country, planting trees and 
um, things like that. The story of Johnny Appleseed and all the, the different stories of, of forests and lands and uh, Manifest Destiny and Lewis and Clark and gardens and things, uh, just everything about the beauty of nature and you know, all the beautiful places in America. Well, we had Arbor Day and now that has become, that has been changed. So um, now we, we have a whole more universal focus on Earth Day, replacing what we learned of Arbor Day. So um, Venus, Uranus being in Taurus, this is an interesting energy to be on the day of the election. So again, Uranus can represent breakthroughs or breakdowns, including potential breakdowns in counting things of, we already are expecting no exact uh, winner that night. And there are other reasons for that, which I'll get into in a moment. But uh, I would be remiss. I did want to mention that there is there are some other major cycles, but there's going to be a total solar eclipse. Now, th that eclipse is in the southern hemisphere. However, we can do the chart. It's December 14, 2020, 11.18 in the morning, Washington, D.C. So you'll see in that chart, sun and moon, 23 plus the Sagittarius. The reason this is really significant, that's exactly opposite the sun energy for Donald Trump. And it's also opposite within, um, well, it, it's opposite the Mars position for the United States and it's squaring the Neptune position of the United States. Mars and Neptune are in a square within one degree from about 22, uh, 22 degrees of Gemini for Mars and 23 degrees of uh, Virgo for Neptune. So we're going to have a total solar eclipse. And it is interesting that it's exactly on the other side of the birthday uh, of the year from Donald Trump. Donald Trump is born June 14th, 1946. Here's an eclipse December 14, when the sun and moon are opposite the area of his sun in Gemini and also triggering the United States birth chart. The other thing is that James Comey is actually born on December 14, 1960. He's born uh, 14 years after uh, Donald Trump. And of course, the whole thing of firing Comey, this is what um, leads to all kinds of craziness over the last several years, all kind of talk about unexpected thunderstorms, <laughs> that two degrees of Aquarius that Roger talks about, unexpected thunderstorm for Jupiter Saturn. So who knows if counting will still be going on and what controversies will have been initiated from all these debates with all this intensity the pandemic, the male problems, um, the, the, the equinox that I just brought to your attention with Juno exactly rising, Mercury squaring its own position, the moon in that chart um, being on the sun of the nuclear, um, the beginning of the nuclear age, December 2nd, 1942. We have so many layers. It's kind of like that fellow um, who discovered Troy um, and there were like seven cities of Troy buried kind of on top of each other. And Schliemann, I think that was his name, an archaeologist, and people kept on uh, disparaging him, saying, oh, he, he keeps looking for Troy, he'll never find it. And then eventually he found it, and a uh, pretty extraordinary story in the field of anthropology and archaeology. So this is another big chart. Um, somehow James Comey could be involved with all this. We know they're, they're trying for an October surprise for William Barr to deal with the investigate the investigators and the whole issue of James Comey as head of the FBI relative to Hillary Clinton, the president firing him, all of those ramifications. Now he's, he came out with a book and he's come, coming out with another one. 
the odds are that he will not necessarily be, uh, it would be pretty amazing for William Barr to do any kind of prosecution of James Comey with his stature, I mean, literally and figuratively, his background and so on. Um, it appears that they're going after, if they do, there's the Connecticut attorney, U.S. attorney, that William Barr has put in charge of investigating the investigators. And I guess the way William Barr, who I've talked about and presented information about his chart early on with the podcast back in May of 2019, I shared the chart for the Department of Justice where we had an attorney general under George Washington, but we didn't have a Department of Justice till 1870, till the Grand Administration. And so there's a chart for that. I think it's in podcast three. It's early on if you want to take a look at that. And William Barr, who is another sun sign Gemini with a lot of Gemini planets, who was born in 1950, um, he has a Leo moon. And William Barr's Leo moon connects up very strongly with President Trump's Leo rising, his Mars in Leo, and his Pluto in Leo. And Leo does have a lot to do with autocracy and kingly authority. So a lot of that I've already shared in different podcasts. So while this total solar eclipse is in the Southern Hemisphere, we have a very profound chart. The last degree of Aquarius is rising in this chart. It's kind of interesting because when Pluto was discovered um, in 1930, uh, February 18th. It had been seen on photographic plates uh, in January of, of, of 1930. This was Clyde Tombaugh in, um, in Arizona, Flagstaff, Arizona. And there's a whole history there. And I've studied uh, the discovery of Pluto chart, just like I've shared the discovery of these different charts in many of the podcasts, discovery of Seddon and discovery of Eris, discovery of Chiron, discovery of Uranus, discovery of Neptune, and discovery of Pluto. Uh, so a lot of these discovery charts, including the discovery charts of asteroids. Well, it turns out that on February 18, 1930, when Clyde Tombaugh looked at the photographic plates around four o'clock in the afternoon, that's the birth of the, or the, the discovery of Pluto from photographic plates taken the month before. Suddenly he sends telegrams out, you know, Eureka, I found what he thought was like planet X. And there's a whole history there. But at any rate, that discovery is a fairly exact time. But on that day, the sun was at 30 degrees of Aquarius. It was the day before the sun was about to go into Taurus. And it, it turns out that the exact rising degree at the total solar eclipse December 14, which is a strategically important date for many reasons, like I said, it's opposite. It's the day opposite of every year of Tr Donald Trump's birth. And it's the birthday of James Comey, who is not a minor player in all of this, just happens to be a total solar eclipse coming in, what, um, 20, 41 days after the election day. Again, we, according to the president of the United States, unless he has a, an overwhelming victory, he's not going to accept defeat, um, even unless, unless Joe Biden wins in a landslide or something. But even so, and the odds of that happening, I mean, I guess it could happen with Uranus being so strong. Uh, at the full moon of October 31 and the president having sun conjunct Uranus. And then we'll, we'll look at, uh, I've already looked at Biden's chart, uh, Joe Biden in two podcasts with Kamala Harris, but I will look at both uh, Joe Biden and the president of the United States and their charts as we get closer to the election. So let me bring up, hold on a second as I grab the chart. Uh, just the chart that I'm presenting um, and I won't give too much history, but there's a whole method to the madness in other time periods. And I do want to um, share, I have a podcast I want to do about the astrology of high career cycles in the U.S. 
chart, um, one of the reports that we offer in, in astrology, the astrology shop, is heaven knows what, a report that's connected to a book that Grant Louie, one of America's great astrologers, he wrote two amazing books. I mean, he wrote a bunch, and he only lived to be about 49 years old. But he, he gave, in Astrology uh, for the Millions, which was an amazing book about particularly uh, all kinds of things in astrology. I mean, it's just a brilliant book, but particularly about, there's a chapter called uh, The Powerful People, Children of Destiny, goes into Adolf Hitler's chart connected to FDR, because they both were in power for the 12 years from 1933 to 1945. And it's a just a, um, what would be a tour de force. But the whole book, earlier on, The Pattern of Life, how Grant Louis looks at charting, he calls the chart the vitosphere. He has all these different terms. And then he has another book, Heaven Knows What, and starts sharing more about uh, that and there is a report called heaven knows what by grant louis with his concepts and ideas and you can order that in our shop and so that gives you grant louis great idea well this was he was one of the great mundane astrologers uh in america i mean there are other ones but he was certainly one of the greats and he didn't live a long time so that's a profound book okay well the reason i bring it up is what i did and what other astrologers welcome planet earth but particularly my pet way of doing things, having started watching all of this with Kennedy Nixon when I was 10 years old, and then voting the first time in 1972. I remember went to my, talk about voting, that went, I went to my grade school, I remember in the after school area, that's where I voted for the first time, I was 22 years old. And I will say I voted for McGovern over, over Nixon. So um, in fact, years ago, you know, I mean, Nixon had been vice president, JFK was kind of a newcomer. And after JFK won, and then years later, um, with my dad, who was a doctor, um, I had a whole issue. I think I shared this before, but becoming an astrologer instead of becoming a doctor in my family was not exactly accepted for many, many years until it turned out I was invited to Jimmy Carter's inauguration. This is when I was in Scotland at Findhorn after working with Lucis Trust that I've mentioned in New York City the good old lucistrust.org, L-U-C-I-S-T-R-U-S-T.org, where I learned so much from the Tibetan master DK, Alice Bailey, and all those books. And you can still go there because of the connections I work with with World Goodwill and in our app um, where there's a cosmic chat. If you subscribe, um, to uh, the, the, the very inexpensive paid subscriptions to the Cosmic Calendar, uh, again with a K for calendar, two words, for iOS or Android, um, then you can tune into what's happening, you know, every day and into the future. So back to this whole idea, um, I was, it turned out I had written a letter to the Democratic National Committee, uh, actually to Jimmy Carter, care of the Democratic National Committee, before I left for Findhorn in 1976, and he was elected, and I think I sent $15, you know, that, I didn't have a whole lot of money. But in those days, $15 was quite a bit, uh, to the Democratic National Committee, I, I didn't exactly like Gerald Ford, and I was hoping Carter would win. I wasn't in the United States. I was in, I was actually in Amsterdam for the third time ever, and I was walking around that whole city before I went to Findhorn when, when Jimmy Carter won in a close election. And it turned out a couple months later, on the just before the inauguration, I got a call from my whole family uh, back in Queens, New York, and I thought somebody had passed away or something terrible, but somebody said, you got to come down here. You're, long distance call from your folks, 
and your family in. One of my sisters or both of them were on the phone. We had a couple of different phones in the house. My dad's on a phone. My mom's on the phone, at least one of my sisters. And I'm thinking, what happened? What happened? And they said, nothing terrible. It's okay. But we got this amazing thing in the mail. You've been invited to Jimmy Carter's inauguration. There's all, all these uh, pieces of parchment. And that changed the relationship with my dad. At that point, which was 1977, that was four years before Woken Planet Earth became a reality, but I was already an astrologer for five years. And it changed the relationship with my dad. And I only bring this up because years, uh, when I got back to the States, became a dad, was married, became a dad of two girls, two wonderful girls. And um, I asked my dad at one point, you know, did you vote for Nixon or Kennedy? You know, because Kennedy having died and the Alliance for Progress, the Peace Corps, you know, to me, JFK and his brother are really saving the world from disaster of the Cuban Missile Crisis, where I don't believe Nixon might have been able to do it. And that's part of my research on presidents. You know, why do we have these people? What are they there to do? Sometimes it's one event, you know, and then and then they don't get reelected. Kind of what happened with, with Jimmy Carter with um, a, 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 the Camp David peace accords um, that happened under his administration, but then the hostage crisis with the Iranians. And then he, then suddenly Reagan's president. And I believe with JFK, um, the big thing was him and Bobby Kennedy at the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I'll report more about that, but I've studied it intensively. And the astrology at that time was, was very extraordinary. Any rate, my, the situation changed with my dad. I was invited. And then uh, Welcome to Planet Earth actually went to, believe it or not, George Stephanopoulos, um, chief of staff, to uh, Bill Clinton. So Welcome to Planet Earth in 1993, 1994, and throughout the 90s went not only to President Clinton's office and to his chief of staff, and I got a couple letters from George Stephanopoulos. Now he's with ABC doing a lot of interviews. He just did one with a, in Philadelphia, a more of a town hall with the president, and he was pretty pretty strong. Well, he'd been, George Stephanopoulos has been this principal ABC anchor for decades now, but when I connected with him, we're talking about 20 plus years ago, and he was in the White House, and Welcome to Planet Earth, as a magazine having a lot to do with Monday and Astrology, was going to the White House. And it also went to Al Gore's office. I don't know where those letters are. and <laughs> I, I wish I had them, but I got at least two from George Stephanopoulos, two or three, and then two from Al Gore's office. Now, I don't know with how much they were focusing. I think there was a quick signature or something. So a secretary probably typed it up. Oh, right back to the Welcome to Planet Earth publisher and let them know. Thanks a lot. You know, keep it going. So that was that story. Well, I'm bringing that up because we're going to close here with a brief look at the election chart. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I have a certain approach that I followed that we're not following now because the pandemic and everything else. But generally speaking, what I did for decades was you'd look at when did each candidate announce that they were running for president? That was an astrological moment. You did a chart for that. You looked at all the different things. Is there a void moon? Is there not a void moon? You know, are there positive alignments? How does it relate to the candidate's chart? Assuming you knew the time of the candidate, like we still don't know 100% if Joe Biden is born at 8.30 in the morning, that's from memory. It's not from a birth certificate. It's probably accurate or pretty accurate, but it's not 100% as far as we know. And some presidents, like we still don't know when Ronald Reagan was born. There's like 15 different potential times for him. Even though he had that astrologer, Joan Quigley, he had another astro woman astrologer before that. 
There's all these controversial times. There's two different times for Bill Clinton, slightly apart. There's a 12-hour difference with Hillary Clinton, one morning, one at night, 12 hours apart. So that is unverified. And certain other people, we, we wouldn't have the information. So it was more guesswork. You can tell a lot from just a sunrise chart or, oh, they were born in the afternoon or evening, but you, what you want is as exact as possible. But at any rate, the charts for the announcement, that's important of whether the candidate even gets there. Like when Kamala Harris had an amazing lot, 20,000 people in Oakland. I didn't do the chart. I don't, I may have done it at that point, but she wound up not becoming the nominee, but then she became the vice presidential nominee. So perhaps that chart wasn't strong enough. And Joe Biden has been sort of running his whole, you know, for decades uh, in different ways, became vice president. And so I didn't focus on his announcement. That would be, he did announce at a particular point, hey, I'm running for president, you know, in the spring of last year. And so that would be a chart. Then the other important chart, at least traditionally, is you're at the convention. Now, this year we had more virtual, well, the white, the Republican convention was barely, I mean, Charlotte and Jacksonville, hardly anything, but it was really at the White House, which was another whole controversy of doing that that had never been done before, particularly with people in the South Lawn without masks and giving speeches and different things. So the question with the pandemic. But um, getting enough votes to be the nominee and having that exact time, that would be another chart. And the same thing for Democrat, Republican, or for this third party. In other words, when you're nominated, go over the top, that was always, when you watch the traditional conventions, particularly on TV or radio, I would be marking down, okay, at this exact minute, you know, they have the nomination. That would be the birthing point. And that chart would be significant. So you have the presidential candidate's birth chart, as best as you knew it. When did they announce? That is another chart, as exact as possible. Then when would they nominate? And you start looking at that and juggling those charts around relative to the other candidate to see what are the best things? Then you look at election day or better election night. And except for rare occasions like Kennedy Nixon, it was the following morning. Nixon and Humphrey in 1968, it was kind of the following morning. Uh, 20 years ago, it was 36 days with the Supreme Court because of the hanging chads and all these other things. Well, the dispute over votes and irregularities and what was going on with different ballots in one state. So, um, the election chart for usually the night, if, like, for instance, just to give an example with Obama, McCain, and I'll share this another time. This is not for now. That was one of the clearest understandings. It didn't get clear until the fall because we're having the economic breakdown of the country. And most of that became really severe September and October. And, but at any rate, the chart for election night in the evening, when the that's when like nine o'clock at night, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night on the East Coast, the traditional thing you got all these reporters, CBS, NBC, uh, now Fox, ABC, uh, public broadcasting, and they're all getting the results from the same area generally, and they're all trying to outbid each other. Who's gonna? Which NBC has declared this date for so and so. CBS hasn't done it yet, and some of these, you know, best best uh, depending on their political reporters. And the polls, they often will have polls of people coming out of voting booths. But now we have so much with mail-in votings that it's going to be very difficult to think that that evening chart. Nevertheless, I'm providing 
a chart and I, I have 9.09 p.m. And um, it's around the time that we would traditionally have uh, polls closing. All the East Coast polls will have closed. And most of the results from um, people coming out of polls, like for instance, California, Oregon, and Washington, almost all will go to Biden unless something is really weird or to the Democrat, unless it was a year like with Reagan or Nixon or something. But in most cases, they don't wait until all those votes in the West Coast. So by the time the mountain states have voted and the central states and so on. So the chart you'll see, um, I'm not going to analyze it, but I'm presenting it. This will be regardless of, unless it's a landslide one way or another, and it can absolutely be shown. If we get the Wisconsin's and the Michigan's and, and Arizona and Florida now in play, some of these other unusual states like North Carolina, Pennsylvania, um, if, if those are all, if it's a mixed bag, if Trump is winning some of those, um, but again, we have the issue of who, how many votes are going to be counted from voting booths versus how many um, votes will be sitting around uncounted. Certain states, I think it's Michigan and others, some of those will be counted, but they won't be counted for several days after. And there's certain laws and rules. So the whole thing is very confusing. As I said, Mercury stationing that day, Venus and Uranus will be 150 degrees apart. In the evening chart, when we will undoubtedly have these stations, they'll be on there anyway, because they, the whole thing will be fascinating. So the pattern, you'll see many, many planets in the upper half of the chart. This is, again, um, it's actually a chart for New York, because that's, um, I can change it to Washington, but I think I'm going to present the chart for New York, where we often have the centers of broadcasting. Um, now, in some cases, CNN, that might be in Atlanta. They shift back and forth between Washington, New York, Atlanta, wherever it may be. But the general pattern is there. Now, you'll notice the moon in Gemini with the north node, you'll see it around the 11th house of this chart on the left side of the chart. So all of election day, the moon is in Gemini. Now, that is the president's sun sign and Mike Pence's sun sign. And you'll see the north node there is very close. It's actually on the United States Mars. So the whole focus on law and order, being martial, getting tough, President Trump has Mars rising. We'll see how far that has got, gotten him between now and then because he's behind in a lot of the polls. But that can change a whole lot. It's happened with Dukakis and, and Bush. It's happened with many other people. Humphrey was way behind or quite a bit behind against Nixon and actually tied Nixon according to the polls and then lost, uh, oddly enough, through Illinois, one of the two states, that Nixon wound up losing with JFK uh, eight years earlier. So there was a kind of irony there. Uh, I've known for a long time that with the moon and Gemini on election day on the North Node, that the election would be about Donald Trump and Mike Pence. I'm not saying it's it's not about Biden and Kamala Harris, but it's basically uh, an either thumbs up or thumbs down of everything they've been doing. So. So that's still the case, and that's still happening, regardless of when the results will actually come in. So the planets, if you're watching around 9 o'clock East Coast time, Pallas, Jupiter, Pluto, and Saturn on the East Coast are all setting on the right side of the chart. That's a tremendous quartet uh, of, of heavyweights in the area of the seventh house. And what does the seventh house indicate? Relationship. Obviously, these two big rivals the Democrats and Republicans, the political divisions of the country. So the symbolism, um, whether it's a landslide one way or another and what the other team or, you know, 
presidential candidate says, well, I'm not giving up. We've got to look at all the votes. Both sides will probably want to do that anyway. And most likely the election will be reasonably close. And that's why this thing could go on for days and days. By the way, Mercury and Saturn are at right angles to each other. Remember, Mercury is not moving. You look at the bottom of the chart, you'll see Mercury 25 plus Libra with Venus, the Sun, and Juno. That's down below, which is more of home, roots, and foundation. So that's kind of hidden away in the depths of the chart. Notice Vesta in the second house. Remember, Vesta was, was a big player at the 2017 inauguration, where it was the only retrograde planet opposite the United States Pluto. It will have another big role at the inauguration. I'll share more of that. I'm, I'm not going to share about that now. But when whoever is inaugurated on January 20th, 2021, they're going to have a lot to deal with Vesta. So you might want to start studying your Vesta. Um, there was two podcasts I did um, about the Vesta Covenant, Shadow Side of Vesta, is not exactly all that pleasant. It connects up to the Third Reich and America on a shadow side. You'll have to listen to my podcast there and what I shared, and it was in a magazine. And Vesta is one of the great asteroids, sisterhood, um, safety and security, investment of time and energy and focus, fellowships. But it also has, a, there's a shadow side to everything. And sometimes those shadow sides can get pretty intense. I'll have more to say about Vesta in terms of mundane astrology in other podcasts. Um, I don't want to get into it all now, but Vesta's, all the asteroids, and many of them that we don't even use, there are other asteroids, Hygieia and so on, uh, dozens of them that people focus on asteroids often are working with dozens of them, as well as there's not just Chiron, but there's Shariklo, there's Pholos, there's other centaur bodies. So certain astrologists fill up the whole chart with vast number. And once in a while, I will do research into that. But if you put too many planets together, too many celestial bodies, then you lose the sense of the whole. Mercury, though, not moving, 25 plus of Libra, is squaring Saturn at 26 of Capricorn in the seventh house. And just before the election, Mercury squares Saturn. And remember, it's going retrograde at that point, a couple of days before the election. Then it stations to go direct on election day. And a couple of days after the election, Mercury squares Saturn again. So we're getting two Mercury-Saturn squares. And interestingly enough, in Hillary Clinton's chart, she was born with a Mercury-Saturn square. Now, maybe that was part of the reason she didn't win, and we didn't also know her birth time and whatever failures were there that happened. There are a lot of reasons for that, which we won't get into. But I have noticed an oddity that will have the same sky alignment, which is not comforting to have Mercury and Saturn so close, and Mercury not moving, because it creates an intensity, planets that are stationary, not just when they're retrograde or direct, when they're not moving, their principles are kind of um, imprinted on humanity and the earth in a gigantic way. And that's why I've never seen anything between the elections, the pandemic, the U.S. mail, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing away, the Mueller report, all of these different things, the impeachment. Now they're even thinking maybe there'll be another impeachment inquiry from the Democratic side if things get kind of dicey and weird due to pushing um, someone into the position on the Supreme Court. There are certain things that the, the House can do during a lame duck se session, just like the Senate can do, in order to either forestall um, the a person of conservative, uh, conservative woman going onto the court. So, um, well, the likelihood is, is that Republicans will push forward and do something that's going to create all these controversies with votes and counting votes and so on. So Mercury squaring Saturn before the election, Mercury not moving, Mercury 
down below, not far from the sun with Juno, let's not forget Juno it can be a planet of storms, psychic, emotional, and actual physical storms. And we're going to have the flu and the pandemic and whatever else. And remember, November is not exactly the summer. We're not going to be, I mean, you could have a, an, what, what was called, I guess, anonymously, this is not a good name for it, an Indian summer where we'd have warmer weather, sunshine in October in a large part of the country. But November, particularly out in the Pacific Northwest, rain, storms, and who knows what is happening, again, with October fires in California and the West Coast, if that were to happen, and other storms that keep happening. So sun conjunct Juno, um, 150 degrees to Mars. You'll see Mars at the top of this chart, at least when the reporters are all trying to figure everything out from the East Coast. So all those planets in the upper part of the chart, very significant. So now you at least have some idea. I mean, just the fact that Neptune is in the ninth house, slowly moving. Mars, still retrograde. Chiron, which is not only the wounded healer and rainbow bridge builder, but also has a lot to do with twilight zones of, of strange consciousness and the whole twilight zone phenomenon, which I shared in doing that Chiron uh, podcast. And I've shared many times over the years with Welcome to Planet Earth, Rod Serling, born when his, in 1924, at a Chiron return for the United States, dying 50 years later when Chiron came back in this chart, again with Chiron coming back to the United States. So Twilight Zone, we have Chiron directly above, uh, 9 o'clock and 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock along the East Coast. We've got Neptune overhead, Mars uh, slowing down, but still in Aries and retrograde, Uranus overhead, there's Sedna up there. Ceres, the largest um, asteroid, not far from the United States, uh, moon, palace conjunction. And then all those heavyweight planets in the seventh house, Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter, including Pallas Athena, and the moon on its north node. Down below, Vesta, safety and security. Venus, in its own sign in Libra, well, that's a thumbs up, but it's down below. And it's in a square pattern to the rising and setting areas around nine o'clock at night. Then, as we said, Mercury, not only squared to Saturn, but squaring uh, within a degree or so of its own position. It, it's kind of back to the same position it's having um, now um, with, with um, as I shared before, with the sun going into Libra today, Mercury is at 24 plus of Libra. And so it winds up going all the way into Scorpio, then stopping October 13th, coming all the way back almost to where it, it is today um, when we have the election. But also that means it's squaring its own position from the United States birth chart and it's simultaneously squaring Saturn both before the election and after and not moving. So this is a kind of perfect storm of storms of challenges across the board. Now you've got that. In the future, I will share more about this time period, also between the election day and the inauguration, as well as getting into the charts for uh, Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump, uh, more specifically as time goes on. So it's a beginning. This is still the Cliff Notes version. It looks like we're at two and a half hours. Not too bad because I've done other ones that have been three hours. So I'll take my leave. There are other things I didn't get to actually share that I would have liked to. But at least you've got a whole lot on your plate and a lot to study and think about. I still think it's a good idea to review and reflect, listen to this a second time whenever you have a chance, if, if possible, and to think about all the complementary things we have on Great Bear Enterprises like Global Hotspots, 
Astro Business Keys, Earth Aquarius News, where we often have these Astro Flash areas. And on the app, we have Astrology in Five, which is only, believe it or not, four to five minutes, where I'm reading from Mysteries of Venus. You can learn much more about that. And then again, the app itself, Astrology, Cosmic Calendar, Calendar with a K, so that you can start uh, tuning in one day at a time for free for the Cosmic Calendar and get into, you know, a couple of weeks into the future uh, with a paid subscription so that you tune more into new moons, full moons, trine, sextiles, where Venus and Mars are, first quarter moons, last quarter moons, uh, in, the, in, the, um, in the app, in the Cosmic Calendar, which I've been doing for 39 years. We even have quintiles, planets that are uh, uh, 72 degrees apart, one-fifth of the whole circle. There are other alignments that you often don't find readily available. The 45-degree aspect called a semi-square. The 135-degree aspect um, where you have, it's in between an opposition of 180. Uh, it's often called the sesquiquadrate. These are really weird names. But between a square of 90 degrees, which is often considered challenging, not always, and between um, that 90-degree aspect and the opposition or polarity of 180 degrees, we have a 135 degree relation. Once in a while, I will share about uh, grand trines in water signs or fire or earth or um, air signs, usually um, made strong by the moon, aligning with the sun and a particular planet. So we often have grand trines. We have T-square triangles. Once in a while, things called the Pythagorean triangle based on a three, four, five triangle where planets, it's pretty rare, but it was exact when President Kennedy died when the Third Reich began, and also when the Boston Tea Party started. And once in a while, we'll see that, where you have three celestial bodies, um, a 90-degree square, 120-degree trine, and 150 degrees. And it goes back to Pythagoras. Um, it goes back to ancient times. Apparently, the Pythagorean 3-4-5 triangle of these different dimensions was used with the Great Pyramid and its building. There's a lot of esoterics about all that. So there's a lot you can tune into. And again, if you this is a time where a lot of people are adjusting. You'd like to learn astrology. We've got the School of Planetary Studies. You can look into that on the website. Sign up either for, um, for a year or for three years and learn a lot of astrology from some of the greatest astrologers. So it's not just Mark Lerner. It's what I learned from Dane Rudyard, Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, Charles Carter, Charles Carter, Grant Louie, Evangeline Adams, Eleanor Bach, Alan Leo, all kinds of different people in three, uh, 36 classes, uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And again, as I said, we have all kinds of astrology reports, including the four asteroids and Chiron. And a lot of people do not have that. And we have a great report in the shop so they can learn where are your four main asteroids, where's Chiron, what zodiacal signs are they in, what houses are they in, somewhat about the mythology and their meanings, and what aspects do they have when you're born. And these other ones that get into progressions and transits like timeline and skylock. So we're getting into that time period um, to consider doing some of these things. And I'll also be offering a different, a, a, another kind of consultation, something unusual and different that will appear fairly shortly. Um, there are four different choices there. Um, and these consultations that I do personally, which I've been doing for 47 years, um, can be recorded by a new technique that I have from my cell phone to your cell phone. So that's another option if you, they're more expensive, but again, uh, charts are done, preparations need to happen. It usually needs to take a, a week or two before it gets set up. Um, 
and then you send in information about your month, day, and year of birth, your time of birth, where you were born, and key questions you have and goals and hobbies and activities and whether you've uh, studied astrology or not. So they're all in the astrology shop, a bunch of different things that are available. And uh, thank you very much for listening. There's a lot here, um, and we'll be doing more podcasts as time goes on, many more, uh, some very exciting ones. And again, I will be taking a stronger look at the election. Um, We'll take a look in later in September into October when these debates are happening and whatever unexpected things are going on, and certainly a comparison of the candidates' charts more fully. Uh, some of that has been done already with the Biden-Kamala Harris two um, podcasts and things I've said about Donald Trump uh, recently and over the course of time um, in articles as well as in podcasts. And then definitely the inauguration chart, which I will share much more about. There's very powerful things in every inauguration chart is extremely important for the four-year cycle of both the president, vice president, and the entire administration. So that chart has to always be looked at carefully for things like void moons, major planetary alignments, how those chart uh, that chart affects the, the president, vice president, and the entire country, and how it compares back to America's birth chart from July 4th, 1776. Remember, there's also the chart for presidential power that I've introduced recently and I've studied for decades when George Washington took the oath of office as the first president, April 30th, 1789 in New York. And that chart has a lot to do with wielding uh, presidential power for good or for ill and how candidates have used that in the past or presidents have used it and how they will use it in the future. Alrighty. Um, thank you again for listening. Many healing blessings to all of you. I look forward to hearing back and, um, you're visiting great bear enterprises and, Deciding to get that app and have that on your phone, kind of important, I think, at this time. Okay, bye for now. Mm-hmm.